I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Liam Haber. And we love to watch. We love to watch wants to know what the good goddamn happened to Busy Bee. Hey Pete, hey Liam. Hi. Spoiler alert, we don't find out what happened. <laughs> Tonight we're going to solve it. We're going to put the, the clues together. We're going to make this into a, a one of those um those, you know, crowd crowdsourced uh murder mystery podcasts yeah. where people figure out like who like who murdered Megan Gailey. <laughs> and then they say her name a thousand times then like six years from now you're gonna be like oh my god what happened to that lady <laughs> um tonight we're gonna figure out what happened to that goddamn busy bee it's one of life's great mysteries what uh, did busy um, bee. <laughs> what, what did bill murray whisper to scarlett johansson at the end of lost in translation where's busy bee <laughs> alex jones wants to know why did Obama take Busy Bee? But where we love to watch, we're movie podcasts. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of uh, around a month or whatever around that theme. The more I say it, the harder it gets for me. And I think that should be a challenge for me personally. Uh, we're in our third week of Be Our Guest Month, where we are going through the mockumentaries of Christopher Guest. We had quite the busy episode last week. Uh, not only did we talk about Waiting for Guffman, we talked a little bit about, uh, we don't want to end on mascots, we don't really want to do a whole episode on mascots, but uh, with with the Corky uh, Connection, uh, which is my uh, which is my new themed restaurant that opens next month, um, but uh, we decided to- Why to, are there so many Corky's? songs about Corky? <laughs> do they charge a, a nominal Corky fee? <laughs> <laughs> if you bring your uh, own wine uh i'm gonna leave it there pete uh, <laughs> we got Guys, a good we, we would our improvising skills are so good that we definitely could be in a christopher guest movie we are riffing perfectly i i each think other. i think so most takes of lugene levy's was like i think that we, we got that chris and then christopher <laughs> guest probably gets mad at everyone for how dare you call me chris i'm like baron lord Christopher Von Guest the Eighth, and and he, I mean, famously, the way that they shoot Christopher Guest movies is not that dissimilar from what we do. Um, where yeah. he he shoots like sixty hours of the movie. That doesn't mean that there's thirty best in shows in there. It no, it's like there's like tons of bits left on the floor because they weren't that funny. Like that's just the cost of improv is like giving people lots of space. So you can improv in this context, like in making a narrative feature, lots of space. So he can go and like spend like six months combing through the shit. Uh, the difference is we spend about a week combing through the shit and then we lead most of the shit in. And also we got the mascots editor, not the good one. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that really, that really hurts us generally. Uh, but yeah, we covered a lot. Um, 
And this week we're just covering, uh, I would say, his best movie, his funniest movie, uh, a movie that kind of blew my mind the first time I saw it because it was my first mockumentary experience, period. Uh, I saw this when it came out on video in the year <laughs> Our Lord 2000. Uh, it was one of those things like seeing Monty Python or Mystery Science Theater 3000 or like a Mel Brooks movie where it's like, wait, you can do this? Like that you could be making movies like this? Uh, and I was just thought it was the fucking funniest thing in the world. So I'm really excited to talk about it today. Uh, and I'm extra excited to talk about it with our guest, uh, Liam Haber, who ha- it's been a little bit since he's been on the show, uh, mainly because he keeps rejecting uh, movie choices that we present him. <laughs> Uh, but Liam, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm not offered the good ones. I'm offered the remainder, I think. Um, but I finally <laughs> was offered uh, one of the best in your show. Best in show. No, uh, I'm really happy to be back. I did realize, I mean, the last movie that I was on for was 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. Which I realized about 45 minutes into this movie means that of my three appearances, two of them have been for Larry Miller films. (laughs) (laughs) Larry Miller's Uh, all over these bad boys. Larry Miller, I I think that like next time you do any movie that has Larry Miller in it, which I think is a Gary Marshall film or (laughs) Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Or the one episode of Seinfeld where he's the... Yes. (laughs) Doorman. <laughs> just bring me back and i'll i'll have my larry miller corner um, um yeah. i think we should yeah, yeah. Hey, can you just uh watch this podcast for me for a little bit i'm gonna I'm gonna go down the street i just gotta i just gotta go grab a beer down the street really quick <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the larry miller corner <laughs> yeah. like oh i forgot we're contractually bound for the larry miller do we choose a different movie a different theme or does liam get his big show again <laughs> <laughs> every time you have a larry miller starring movie because he is the star i believe that he is above the title it's larry the star miller in both in a about you and this yeah but yeah just like you know just like turn to liam for a larry miller moment really i mean he plays dads in both he does. Um, really different types of dads though like maybe polar opposite dads i mean he's still like like polar opposite, not for the entire spectrum of dads, but for yeah. dads played by Larry Miller, like a grumpy, lovable, sweet man uh, who who does one what's best for his daughters, or a sociopath uh, who abuses and gaslights. His I will wife gouge your left eye out with my thumb. I shit you not. I know. You get I- down off that roof, you freak. <laughs> this is what I do for a living. Let me, let me tell you a secret. They always jump. They all jump. <laughs> Honestly, one of the best. It's, uh, one of the best payoffs in the movie is Larry Miller talking, making this depressing speech about the just the day to day of a negotiator who negotiator. largely works on suicides, and then. The best, one of the best payoffs is that he finally gets a chance to show his stuff in a low-stakes situation, and he shows you just how bad he is at his job. Well, it's great because it's like the the scene where the flex go see Larry Miller and his family. That stuff could so easily be pulled from the movie as a whole. It yeah. doesn't do much growth. There's no like real character development of anything that isn't done elsewhere in the movie. It, it hits a beat but with it's cookie also, that it does like five to ten more yeah. times i mean i i will greet a friend of mine that also loves this movie by if like i the first time i see her i'll just say cookie, <laughs> cookie googleman 
<laughs> um, but if you cut out the Larry Miller stuff of this movie, you'd be cutting out five of the funniest minutes I, in any Christopher Guest movie. It's so good. And actually, like, this is a movie that I have... It is up there in movies like what we've done for this show that I really – it's been a couple of years since I've seen it. Um, but it's a movie – Pete and I were actually texting about this, and I'm sure it's true for you as well, Liam. I did not need to uh, re-watch this going into the podcast. Now, I, we always rewatch or, or watch the movies before recording, but like even movies that I've seen a lot of times, it's like, well, I got to focus and pay attention and nuance. I could play this movie – and almost every line, or at least an approximation of the line, um, probably in my head from beginning to end, I've seen this movie so many goddamn times. And what's Same. amazing about it is that, like, that whole scene and there's a bunch of other stuff in this movie that we'll talk about still makes me, like, audibly laugh even when watching it by myself at, like, 11 p.m. at night. Exactly. Yes. Oh, That's yeah. I, makes... I watched this movie, like, a month ago. <laughs> I watched it not that long ago either, and I was so happy that I could watch it again. Like, I'm glad I had an excuse to watch it again instead of just, okay, it's it's time for me to rewatch Best in Show. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> I wish that I had a cable box or something because this was a movie that I flipped on so many times when I did, where it doesn't matter how far into this movie it is. Yeah. I know that I can, I can basically, like, put it on and say the next line immediately because that's how quotable this movie is i mean every character and every actor and actress in it gets a chance to really shine and i think that this is such a this and spinal tap are such low concept movies um Mm -hmm. that they make they make great fodder for comedy central afternoons um, yeah. And that's why I saw this movie a zillion billion times before I even bought it on DVD and then eventually Blu-ray was that like, it was just like, yeah, it would just pop up in the middle of the afternoon. And then I'd be like, to my sister or to my mom, I'd be like, best in show is on. And I'd call and then like, inevitably, we would both end up watching the last 30, 40, 50 minutes, whatever. And yep. it was it, 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 it is like such an easy movie to jump into because it's it is like very simple. A bunch of weirdos go to a dog kennel, uh, a dog show. They're standing there with their dogs. And so you know who they're rooting for. And they they go into a very brief competition. The competition bits on this last only as long as they need to do yeah. uh, to do um, Fred Willard jokes. And then they stop. Like they, the movie is is concerned with the, the personalities and the and the the humanity behind the contest it is not concerned at all with the sort of the the strictures or the formalities or like how the dogs are rated and like i wonder as christopher guest said in an interview i watched an interview with a um a man whose name rhymes with barley bows um who used no. to, used to do interviews and i i was like whatever happened to charlie rose and i was like oh yeah this guy's an asshole but i realized like 15 minutes into the interview but uh christopher guest was saying basically he's like oh yeah i do I, I do like tons and tons of footage and the movie is not a movie until like we sit down and we spend months combing through the footage <clears throat> that, 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 um, that sort of approach to his movies usually works out. Um, as long as he sort of has a, a dial in and what he wants out of the movie. And this is a movie where he clearly understood exactly what he wanted out of the movie, which is 
I want to capture these sort of weird characters. I want to get all their facets, put them through a stressful contest and see what comes out. And like, it, it, it makes sense that like, these movies are generally about not spinal tap i would say but waiting for guffman mascots best in show and uh mighty wind are all about a bunch of sort of weirdos who get slightly elevated above above normal people Mm -hmm. um i guess in mighty wind they have you know some degree of, of fame and then they have to uh, they have to go perform for a large audience in something that would be within their weird specific confines the most important thing, and that sort of gauntlet that they run through makes them. Uh, it lets us see their their inner side, and I wonder if somewhere on the cutting floor, somewhere, Christopher Guest left a bunch of just like the um the judges talking through specific aspects of how they judge a dog's gait or like, like, like just like well, weird, the the weird rigors of how to judge a dog competition. He was just like, nope, that's not important. Let's focus on the people. So I do think that that's like, I think that's the key to this movie. What exactly what you called out. So we talked a little bit about this last week, but like uh, spinal and, and the first week spinal tap is a very different structure than the rest of the guest movies that we're going to cover. Right. Spinal tap is them at their highest. And then the last, you know, the last third of the movie, the third act, is really this kind of depressing fall from from fame and then has a kind of a happy, like, stinger epilogue at the end. In Waiting for Guffman, he kind of finds the structure that he's going to use for the rest of his movies, which is we introduce, like, uh, a, you know, a series of characters who theoretically care about, like, very low stakes Something that, like, in in a real in a real way is low stakes, but the characters themselves are obsessed with it. They have some journey and obstacles to get it on, standard 3X structure. And then the third act is the big show, Guffman. Yeah. Uh, in Guffman, we, you know, it's the play, mascots. We talked about last week, it's the, the mascot competition. Uh, you know, here it's the, the, the actual, um, the actual dog show, Mighty Wind. It's the it's the performance. Why this one I think is able to to do more jokes and jokes that I think um, avoid something that's on display in all of his movies, but like really gets lazy by the time mascots come around, which is some of his eye rolling jokes, is because in Best in Show he is actually working within a subculture and a structure that exists in real life like even though this movie itself inspired like the NBC annual National Dog Show the Westminster Kennel Club uh, I watched that in elementary school it would occasionally be on like TV if you didn't have enough stations on PBS on Sundays uh, once a year or something like that and it would they, they did this they did the best in best in group they did best in show they had them walk on I thought it was the boringest thing in the world my mom was weirdly fascinated by it every year she eventually found a place that had tapes of it so like like everything that we're seeing for the mo- for like from the concept of this like best in group to best in show to this yearly thing that has a lot of prestige to these people that are obsessed with their dogs and kind of grooming them for the show all of that is the out of all of his movies essentially is the one that like has the closest real life parallel it's not that there's small towns that don't that don't um put on sesquicentennials but like 
all the groundwork that he has to do with establishing how silly Blaine is, you know, kind of this mythical town that doesn't exist, is like groundwork that he has to do. Some of it is great. Some of it's a little eye rolling, uh, as as well as like the type of people that would be that obsessed with, you know, putting on a small town play uh, is huge close to reality. But I don't think it has a one-to-one comparison. Like, mascots get so far off the map, and I think that's why mascots, you just have a lot of, like, it doesn't just have the one, uh, oh, my, I had to get a penis reduction surgery, or I have two left feet jokes. It's, like, constantly, like, trying to do this, like, let's laugh at, like, you know, people's bodies, or, or like, uh, blah, blah, blah. This This doesn't need to do that, because everything on display here is a slightly skewed version of something that already exists. And so he's able to, I think, focus more less on setting up the concept and the type of people that would be obsessed with it and focus more on the characters themselves and uh, the jokes within. And so I think that's why, like, I love Guffman. I love A Mighty Wind as well. But I think, Mm -hmm. much like Spinal Tap, this is the one guest movie where he's able to go... This already exists. I just need to turn it ten to fifteen degrees to and then and then find my jokes from that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think it's a big topic we're gonna have to talk about tonight, but like guest has both a rather uh humanitarian approach to these characters. Like he wants to see what makes them tick. Um in a way that like it warms me. Like I, I yeah. love that even the most, like, uh, kind of uh, broken characters in this, like, such as the the, the main uh, <laughs> the main couple, Hamilton and Meg Swan. Uh, I guess they're not the main couple. The main couple is, is, is obviously Cookie. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. um, the Hamilton and Meg Swan are, like, the, the couple that I think really steals the movie. Um, and the movie is framed by them. And his, like ability to build these actual characters and obviously giving that up for to the improv performers as well particularly parker posey um he wants to build real characters but by the end of the movie he like also wants to make these characters end up in a very sort of pitiful state um like even the happy endings for these characters have a, a joke at their expense. Uh, we're going to talk about it more with Mighty Wind next week, but Mighty Wind ends on an absolutely deflating, very depressing yeah. joke for a movie I really like. Um, and this yeah, movie- Mighty Wind, uh, sorry to interrupt, but Mighty Wind, uh, as much as I like much of that movie, I think uh, Fred Willard is doing an even better job playing the same character in that than he does in this yeah he's so he's Um, so funny in that movie he's he is the reason to watch that but it also is probably the most uh disappointing one that uh the disappointing ending note of any of guests yeah you you definitely what's what's interesting is that like so one of one of his uh daughters is trans um, mm-hmm. That was uh, just recently. They, uh, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Christopher Guest just yeah. recently um, sort of uh, came out publicly to talk about it. Um, which, yeah, it's 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 a very fascinating turn after, after Mighty Wind stuff. Well, well, well. On top of that, I do think like we we talked about this in mascots, and like one thing we'll probably talk about tonight. Like, but the, the seeds were there pretty consistently. We I, we talked about this a little bit with Corky's character last week. 
the the thing about watching these now, especially, um, I'm same with the case. I'm sure when people watched it, uh, were a little more worldly than I do. Like you, you, I remember watching Best in Show and thinking like that they were like, uh, you know, like oh, this is a good interpretation of like a gay couple and stuff like that. And it is watching it now. Like there is, and watching all these movies like in such close proximity, you just really have to come away with oh yeah, he just he really thinks gay people are like not, you know, uh, non cis heterosexual people are just. Very funny in a kind yeah, of he, yeah. he thinks their inha- their flamboyancy is inherently yeah. funny, and I think this movie ends up on um, this movie. Uh, Mighty Wind ends on, ends on a transphobic joke, which we'll talk about next week more. But like um, Waiting for Guffman, he plays obviously the lead, and uh, there there's not Corky is nothing but a joke. Basically, like I don't think even at the end of the movie, he's still making fun of Corky and Corky's uh, big desires, which actually it's 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 more it's more complicated than that because like it's about the ambitions of people trying to get into showbiz and like is that worth laughing at well we'll, we talked about that last week um the when this movie it's a little stickier um because he does portray the couple as a loving yeah couple that seem actually like the most functional couple and the most happy in their skin couple yeah and i I really love michael mckean i really like michael mckean's performance it's like watching it now especially with like a critical eye of talking about the podcast having just watched mascots especially (laughs) that really still thinks it's very funny uh and while i I think that every time you reference mascots you might need to like take a shot or something (laughs) i'm not sure i ever need to be reminded of that movie that much we did yeah sorry well don't listen to the last 20 (laughs) minutes of last week's episode but it it was interesting to watch those as like bookends of like the the better stuff that we're going to talk about because yeah like you watch this and you're just like man john michael higgins he like he acts like if you told a middle-aged person in the year 2000 that now you get to pretend to be a gay person like that's already kind of a little homophobic would act yeah he he um to use a term that was coined by uh i think either a twitter friend or a real life friend after seeing um prom last year he pulls a cordon yeah that's um, right <laughs> he says what if I'm not just the most flamboyant? I'm also the most clearly. I know that this is a parody flamboyant. Yeah. Um, and it's I I've always been torn on Scott the uh, what's what's the name of that Scott? Actor? Yeah, Scott John uh, Michael Higgins. John Michael Higgins. Yeah. yeah, Higgins. Thank you. I always get him and uh, Michael Hitchcock confused. Yeah. Um, but John Michael Higgins, who is a great actor and has yeah. given some amazing performances in guest movies and not uh but you c- i've always been torn on like is this laughing at or with the gay characters but i think having michael mckeon basically not play up any real stereotypes and the i mean i think it's okay to spoil this 21 year old movie but <laughs> the reveal of uh jennifer coolidge and jane lynch's relationship being both a twist and also so clearly foreshadowed (laughs) it's telegraphed hard it's it's great and like they're a very well yeah 
established couple in a very You learn so much about them way. and what they're yeah. missing and what they need in each other. And in the end, they seem yeah. really happy with Bitch Magazine. Yeah. Um, I, Amer- I, I, hey, I would, American Bitch. American Bitch. American Bitch, yes. Hey, I did I did write down that line among many others. Um a uh let's let's make sure I get it right here. Yes, focus <laughs> on the issues of the uh average lesbian purebred dog owner. <laughs> <laughs> the average. And there's a few bits in this movie that clearly like they had to pre-write because they have a, a prop right in front of them, yeah. but that's like that's per- the, the the whole all the American bitch covers are so yeah. fucking funny. See, all two of them. I mean, yeah. they're on their third issue, Peter. Uh, well, it's also, like, that one, and I'm also... I can never remember... Again, like, we all know every joke of this movie. <laughs> I can never remember if they say that Eugene Levy has two feet in a separate shot than when they show them. Oh, that's funny. I don't remember and if it's, it's a pan... Is it a it's pan down or is it... it it's a pan it down, It does right? pan down, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, I can never they do it twice. Until, yeah. I can never remember until I'm watching it, though, because the first yeah. time he's making the joke about dancing with Cookie. Yeah. Oh, I can't dance. I have two left feet. I have two left feet. And then Catherine O'Hara in a, an amazing performance, as every performance Gosh, of hers is, so she goes from laughing to being, but it was true. <laughs> and I was like, I, every time I'm like, did they just decide on that character beat now? Or was that? already like preordained but it was considering they panned down yeah that's what's so great about or were they fucking around in like they were trying to like uh get the character beat in with christopher guest like was he like Mm -hmm. was he like i want to hear your accent i want to hear you more um stressed out i want to hear you really happy and excited and then they they're just sort of riffing and then she and then she just sort of yes anded um uh, an off an off joke that eugene levy made yeah. and then christopher guest is like yep that's a plot point that's something we're shooting like tomorrow yeah i'm gonna, get, I'm gonna go buy uh two pairs of the same ugly loafers and you're <laughs> now there's you're someone there, no so the, there actually is someone credited as designing his shoes that's great well yeah you can't um, you, you can't just buy yeah. two pairs of shoes <laughs> I mean, she's also like probably wearing shoes that are just like a little too big for his feet, so that yeah. he can comfortably because he has to like prance yeah. around in them. Yeah, because you never know. Like that's the shown. thing, right? Like it, it, there's uh you never know when they're going to end up in a shot because yeah, because of the way they shoot the movies. It's just such like I I I can only imagine. I, I I've always wanted to when they were on Shit's Creek when they're in this anything. Just like the dynamic between Levy and Catherine O'Hara is so, always so, so pure. It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love, love it. I love it. I love this movie, but I think, like, there's a lot more um, confusion and calamity in their relationship in A Mighty Wind. Oh, but, like, yeah. They're so tender with each yeah. other there. Oh, my God. Like, it's the only guest movie that makes me... It's definitely the only movie we're covering this month. We're covering five movies. Uh, it's definitely the mm-hmm. only movie of the month that makes me cry at the end. Absolutely. Same. Yeah. Um, it's also the also... only time in a guest movie where he kept the couples the same. He's very... he's You know, he uses yes. a lot of the same players, but he really tries to mix up, uh, you know, who's, who's in what relationships and how the character dynamics work. And, and like... You know, clearly in uh, uh, in Best in Show, he's like, well, no, this this dynamic almost works too well, and I I feel comfortable yeah. carrying that through. Um, I think that he splits them up more in for your consideration a movie that I've like 
half seen once many years ago. It's it's a movie it's a movie that I blotted from my memory because it feels yeah. way too mean. It it, it 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 it's um we talk I think we talked about it a little last week, but like it's uh it's a movie that uh, Waiting for Guffman is very about very much about people uh, aspiring to showbiz. Um, mm-hmm. And For Your Consideration is in a similar sort of character. Um, but it, 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 um, it is, it's far more acidic and, and cruel yeah. uh, in a way that like I, really, really bothers me. Well, uh, I think that's what, yeah, yeah, that's what's great about this movie, though, is I think you can't, like... I don't know if there has ever been a comedy movie with this much of an ensemble uh, vibe that treats all of its characters equally, gives them all, like, all of the leads equal amounts of screen time and jokes. But more than that, doesn't have, like, anyone that you're rooting against? I mean, the first time that you see this movie, I feel like you have someone that you want and it might not be the Googlements. Or the the Flex, yeah. the Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara couple. It could be Jane Lynch. It could be, like, there's a compelling reason to root for everyone in that final best in show sequence. I, I, um, I do think that's the, one of the secret successes is that, like, yeah. I, like when, when we'll talk about this, but, like, when Harlan wins, like, I, I feel legitimate excitement in the way that you do, like, when you're watching uh, a uh, you know a sports it's, movie or something, yeah, someone wins the match and like it's it like dances. miracle. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. it those those moments feel really good. You are rooting for people. I think the best that you can say is like maybe Hamilton and Parker Posey like shouldn't own a dog. Yeah, they're <laughs> they, they're they're they should not be anywhere near each other. <laughs> that one's they're using the dog rough, as like but... a that's a big part of the movie is people are projecting their uh excitement or their disappointment uh or their sort of uh the, the, their, their failures or their successes uh on to their animals and uh they just want a clean refresh and so they get a new dog and so like that scene is both very funny but also it's like they're just gonna keep getting new dogs until somebody finds a, a good enough reason to break this awful couple up. Uh, well, yeah. you know what they're going to do next, right? <laughs> what? Have, have, have a Go kid. Go catalog shopping? No, have a kid. Oh, no. <laughs> have a child. Like, I mean, like, that's, like, uh, there's there's the scene that actually really gets me the most, like, uh, yeah, obviously it sucks, like, oh, we were, like, verbally abusing and yelling at our dog, and then the dog uh, had some anxiety issues and we got rid of it. Like, obviously that sucks, but there's that part where, like, uh, where where uh, where Hamilton is yelling right before the show, it literally just like doesn't understand that like dogs don't get psyched up like you're yelling at like you know yeah uh, fucking we are Marshall. He's like <laughs> you know he literally thinks like you're gonna go out there and it's just like Jesus Christ like you the like you oh, you feel bad for the dog in the scene the actor dog because yeah, yeah maybe maybe that's how I should. Uh, rephrase it. You're rooting for all of the dogs equally. Yeah. 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 Maybe you're not rooting for all of the couples equally. Yeah. Um, and I think, but... I, I, I think genuinely, like, this is the most hopeful. Uh, maybe this and Spinal Tap are the most hopeful movies we're going to cover this month. Um, uh, Spinal Tap at the end of it, like, it's almost like they're accepting that they're sort of like a has been band, but like, hell, let's, let's, we're a family, let's like 
Let's get at least, or at least we're best friends. We're made for each other. Let's, let's get back together. This movie ends in a way where it's like, uh, like Aaron was pointing out, like even uh, Hamilton and, and Meg Swan, like, yes, they're like clearly in a deeply toxic relationship, but they're like working on it and going to therapy and like, yes, they're projecting all this shit onto the dog right now, but like hopefully soon they'll make a realization that it's about them. Um, Cookie and Jerry um, are borderline an amazing couple. Like they they seem yes. to like, like Jerry has devoted much of his life to Cookie's love of terriers. Um, and I mean- that said, when it comes down to it, God does love a terrier. God, God loves, loves a, terrier. a terrier. That shot where one of the the party guests—I forget her name. She's like a famous comedic actress, Rachel is, Harris. Rachel yeah. Harris is on the yeah. verge of tears. To God loves <laughs> a terrier is one of my favorite, just like throwaway shots. Um, <laughs> it makes me it makes me laugh so hard because she's just like so into she's, the sincerity of the moment. She's an amazing actress who she's has like yeah. never gotten. She was really good on The Daily Show. Like, she was on there for two years. I sure was, got. Yeah. yeah she was, she was the, very like, funny. She was in the, She's like, in Samantha Bee era, yeah. like, right yeah. after Steve Carell sort of that. phased himself out. Yeah, but then she, but she just, like, yeah, for most of her, for most of her career, it's like, okay, well, why don't you be the uh, wife who doesn't let her husband do anything fun in the Hangover movies? Won't that yeah. be? Or the, the mean older sister in, in one sitcom episode, right? Yeah. yeah. She's 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 a, a basically like a, a a throwaway character in here, but she does add life to the the sort of family that um, Jerry and Cookie have. And like Jerry and Cookie, like I said, are like a borderline great couple. It's just like yeah. Jerry can't put away his jealousies for Cookie's past, and Cookie still likes the attention that she gets from all these guys like that she slept with in her youth. Um, like she's she's like. She still likes that sort of like thrill she gets where she was like, oh, yeah, I was I was a wild yeah. child. Like and I, hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. Yeah. yeah hundreds. And, he, and he looks at it like hundreds <laughs> like he, he hasn't put the jealousy away, but she also hasn't like put away like courting that sort of attention. Like she even mm-hmm. like she tell well, she tells him at one point like I, which I kind of missed on previous watches, but the small thing um, uh, where where uh, they're at the, the pre party. And he's kind of go, you know, he's a little bit annoyed that like the conversation got derailed and stuff like that. Um, and and like they're doing like the couple whisper fight, and um, she goes, which I I've never caught this before, but she goes, "Come on, you know, it makes me feel good." Like, <laughs> like she's like she's, I I think that's something that really like uh, clicked for me this time around watching it, you know, knowing that I was gonna have to talk about a lot of it, where it's like, oh, and paying attention to that to that relationship specifically. Because it's like, oh yeah, you know, there, there's, it's, it's. I think it's easy to at first read it a little bit as, um, you know, that he he has something to feel insecure about, and it's a joke about how promiscuous or whatever that his wife potentially is, and like I think it's very in the clear. past. I think it's clear that yeah. Well, that, well, that no, I know that's that's what I'm saying. Like it's clear that like she how committed she is to him. And also recognizing that, like, I don't have to pretend that who I was before is something to feel bad or ashamed about or something like that. Like, I like I like remembering those times. Those were good times for me. And that's like, yeah, I mean, obviously, Eugene Levy feels differently. But I actually think uh, Cookie is a very healthy perspective on some of that she, stuff. She's I, very sex positive about yeah, herself, yeah, too. Where she's, uh, yeah. it, the, the movie is not villainizing her for having... 
been a bit no, promiscuous in it's, her. It's more pod, about Jerry's insecurity at the fact that, like, yeah, also, let's yeah. be honest, like, Eugene Levy get puts on fake cap teeth. He walks funny and mm-hmm. he and he uh, talks in a like Eugene Levy's normal voice is just like a normal guy's voice. But he puts like a 30 percent more nerd in there and yeah. he talks like a complete a complete dork and cookie is like cool and fun and like cookie would be like someone who like yeah it makes sense yeah. why they have a, a vibrant social life um yes. back home is because like people are attracted to cookie not just sexually but like also because she's yeah. like fun to be around she cracks jokes she she cracks jokes with well, the men she cracks jokes with the ladies yeah. she can like she can keep up she has her own interests that she'd love to tell you about like cookie is a fun person to be around and it really speaks to like I, I think it's like, yeah, it's clearly like Jerry's fault for not being able to put the, the jealousies away. They're like, there's moments in the movie where it's like, why are they going to visit Larry Miller at all? Like, yeah, that like, that's the part that gets a little bit like you can see where it's like, OK, that's just like an uncomfortable situation. And he's not being like, hey, remember the good times. He's like aggressively propositioning her. Yeah. For, he basically for, says, I'm going to bang your wife again. Like, yeah, he ends the conversation with saying, I, you know, I'll get a picture next time. (laughs) You know, I will say a little bit, though, even in Jerry's defense, though, there's not a point where he like like, he he doesn't like accuse her or yell at her or like get mad at her. And they don't have a fight about it. You can tell that it's just like frustrating to him that how frequently it happens and derail something that he is. So, like, in some ways, it's almost like. Uh, like if, you know, you have, if you're, your partner or someone like that, like you're on long road trips and she constantly wants to stop to take pictures of scenery. Like I can't just take them from the car. I want to get out and take the picture and stuff like that. And it's like, it's like, it's not something that you're like causing fights over or it's ruining your relationship or like all that kind of stuff. But every time it happens because it, to you, it's not something you like, you know, and it happens quote unquote, you know, so frequently that. That you just kind of are just like, oh, God, again. Um, yeah. and, and, I, and I like that, like, at the very least, like, there's not, like, a moment of, like, Jerry being, like, you know, calling her, like, misogynistic names or they get in a fight as a plot point to the movie and, you know, Cookie has to win her back. It is just like, a, hey, we're trying to sing the fucking song about Terriers and once again, yeah. you've derailed what I'm excited about. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like it's like they're a sweet couple that ultimately works, but like Jer- Jerry Jerry needs to put some stuff aside, and Cookie probably needs to realize like, hey, I could cut these conversations off. Like, yeah, I I get, I get recognized for having lived like a very fun life. Um, very often, I could probably end this. Like even Fred Willard has a throwaway joke that took me a long time to catch, which is that yeah. he's like, um. She, she says familiar. that dog handler looks pretty familiar, yeah. <laughs> implying yeah. that Fred Willard also banged Cookie at some point. Which I I also have never really picked up on that one too many times before. But this time I was like, I was really paying more attention to the background yeah. of these characters, including how I don't think I'd ever really picked up on the fact that the Michael McKeon character was in a relationship with a woman before he was with Oh yeah. Uh, and I I like I've heard that joke and it's like oh ha ha he was dating uh he he used to be married even though look at how gay he is. But then kind of putting that writing that joke down and then later getting the moment where 
a different character leaves her opposite sex partner for a same sex partner. Yeah. And I like, think I think the I think the joke on for some reason I think the joke works really well in Scott and Stefan where yeah. where um the joke is just like he was in the closet and now he's free. And also Stefan actually like laughs and is good humored about Scott's yeah. past. Um, yeah. He has no he has no discomfort there and they end the movie with them finding something that is just like their next adventure. Like they're the couple in this that works the best, I think. Um, I, I agree. The least I mean, amount of the least amount of conflict, but also like the the stuff that would make most relationships not work. Uh, Stefan and Scott both seem to be like, like no, I I love I love him for that. I just and I love how much of like. Like, they don't have any bickering. Like, all the other couples have these moments of, like, even, like, positive stress about, like, the dog show and stuff like that. Like, where even, like, uh, uh, Cookie and Jerry have the moment of, like, I'm not going to go do that. I'm not going to, like, about that. And obviously, I mean... (laughs) Uh, we know we know where Hamilton and uh, and Parker Posey's character um, um, Scott and Stefan do disagree about uh, how many kimonos Scott should bring. But, it, but it's, it's such like a gentle yeah. conversation. It's it's like, gentle. We're gonna be there for forty eight hours. You think six kimonos is enough? You're right, seven. It's it's a brilliant joke. It's, Great it's joke. The way, it's the way like functional couples like yeah. not even argue, but they're just like like when when me and my wife when we're leaving for something, and I'm like. Yeah, I mean, like, do we have to go to this one extra thing? Like, and she's like, it, oh, do you have to start packing four days before we leave? Like, <laughs> it's just something that couples, like, when they're 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 in a moment of just, like, yeah. disagreement, they, like, it's good to voice your concerns. And they voice their concerns, and then they just kind of power through, because it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I love how it's, like, it kind of feels like a joke that replaced kimonos with, I don't know, shoes. And you could almost have it pulled directly from Everybody Loves Raymond or something yeah. like that. Yeah, Why yeah, but it's, it's the specificity shoes. of their eccentricity, right? Like they're, they're yeah, they're, like that them nailing up that like tapestry in a hotel room that they're staying yeah. in for forty eight hours is oh. such a fucking funny joke because, like Hamilton and Meg are kind of like yuppie jokes. Uh, these yeah. guys are just about like eccentric rich people jokes. Yeah. Where they're just like, well, yeah, my room has to be exactly yeah. the way that I want it to be. Well, and, and again, that the- just the fact that you find out that, like, uh, you know, that even though, like, so, you know, obviously Stefan, or uh, not Stefan. Um, Scott. Uh, Scott. Scott. Um, Scott is obviously the more, like, eccentric one between the two of them. And I love that, you know, so Scott's nailing up the tapestries and the other thing. Uh, and then Stefan is like, oh, thank you. You know, I can't sleep without a flow in the room like you know it's like he he does the nail he puts it all up for him and it's like thank god now i can sleep like it is such an adorable couple and i don't want to fly past the part like where that's why i think like michael mckean is so good at in this like that part where he's telling that story and he like that little like um leg clasp and look at um scott while they're talking about like and then i saw you know him like it it is such a like a sweet real moment of like realizing your life is changing in an instant when you meet someone yeah Yeah. and and scott and stefan because they're both straight john michael higgins has been married to i just googled uh not (laughs) is is john michael higgins straight but i was just like i think he's married uh he's been married since 2003 Um, so also, I mean, he could be bi, it doesn't matter, is doing the sort of like, like we discussed, the broad flowy sort of like gay stereotype. And it weirdly reminds me of the birdcage where like 
the birdcage has big problems, but one of the things that like weirdly works about the birdcage is that like Robin Williams and Nathan Lane's character, it's like Nathan Lane is playing a bit like a much bigger gay stereotype of flamboyant. He's barely functional because of his eccentricities. Like he he can barely do anything for himself. And it's a, and it's a it's a movie that gets more complicated because Nathan Lane came out of the closet much much later. Um but my point is that like one of them is like um, the big, the big flowy one, the one that like is a gay stereotype. And then one of them is more sober and dignified and like, you know, like is, is, is more like, I don't even want to say dignified, more focused on sort of like central dignity. Like Robin Williams's character is like, yes, I'm playing a gay character, but I've met many gay men and, <laughs> and they're not all, you know, elaborate in all of their activities. Um, and that sort of balance is like, I think reads more as a real couple. Um, because like, if they were both doing like a gay stereotype, um, not to say that like Scott doesn't feed, uh, excuse me, uh, Michael McKean doesn't feed into some gay stereotypes of like the, the rich, older, um, more, more established man. Um, but like the, the, the feeding into the more hurtful gay stereotypes that that uh gay men are so so flamboyant they can't even function like the joke in is it, is it in mean girls it says too gay to function too gay to function yeah yeah that's mean girls. like that's like i mean that's a joke coming from like a feminine perspective it's obviously still can be very hurtful and harmful but like sort of setting a balance is kind of the only way to make these characters work albeit in the modern day you definitely don't cast two straight married men who, yeah. who have been married to their partners for a long, long time as a gay couple. You just don't do it. You just let you hire you hire actual LGBT performers. You let their experiences, uh, you know, inform the character. Yeah. Or so, you let uh, Scarlett Johansson do it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was just going to say that, like, you're, you're correct, but also that's so often not the case too. yes yeah. yes um i'm saying in in a best case scenario you just hired yes. you hire two gay guys and let them do what 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 feels right and like works with the vision of the movie yeah um yeah and often they'll get kind of like what we're talking about with uh the bird cage yes. they get like one gay person and then they have a straight person playing the straighter per- it's a very yeah you can't have two gay people in the same same yeah. room. It's like Back to the Future rules. Yeah, and Hank, <laughs> according and then, like, to Hollywood. Also, to throw that math off, Hank Azaria is a straight dude. It playing the, yes. the most like I think the most harmful stereotype. Hank Azaria is an interesting dude that I don't. We do not have time to break apart, yeah. but like yeah. he has portrayed some of the most harmful stereotypes in. Oh yeah, in like cinema oh, yeah. and TV history, and yet like it's still fairly beloved because he'll just come out and be like, "Oh yeah, I fucked up. Sorry." Like, yeah, and he's sort of know, an he's, icon of like why cancel culture is not a thing because he just came out. And he's like, yeah, I probably should stop doing a poo. You're right. Yeah, and That's you know, it point. took him a, a while longer than probably needed to. Oh, hundred percent. Point. Hundred percent. He shouldn't have done it yeah, in were, the uh, the 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 fucking um, the audition. Yeah. Um, but I I often think like with him, he also has. I don't know if you, either of you ever watched that show, Brockmire. I no, haven't, but, but I've heard good things. It's really good, and it's like a surprisingly well built show for something that is. It's it's kind of funny that like two of the best comedies of the last five years are 
extended from Fox 5, like Fox Sports characters, because Brock Meyer was from MLB games and Ted Lasso is from uh, FIFA or football. One of the two. Yeah, yeah, he was a, it was a, it was a college football, college football joke. And then for some reason, uh, it ended up, part of the joke is that he's not a soccer coach. So I guess it would make sense. Okay. But either way, like, it's just so funny that those exist. But with Brockmeyer, the whole idea of the character is this is a guy that has been at the top of the game and completely at the bottom of the barrel so many times. And I think that it's played out really well that they, he's kind of, Hank Azaria has been in that situation too. He's played Agenor in the birdcage, but he's also played like, I don't know, he's been in very like sensitive good roles as like the friend in a drama D. Yeah, yeah, it sort of balanced it out. Or that's also like, you know, Michael McKean has spent most of his career, um, being a good a good person like he mm-hmm. spent most of his career uh playing a variety of actors doing uh performing in movies that were probably you know b- a little bit below his dignity but still showing up and doing great work um and, and in interviews being very lovable and being very open about his like left-leaning politics and uh you know he, he's now just sort of transitioned into like a sort of elder statesman of comedy um, so you kind of trust him when he's yeah. playing a gay character and he kind of rewards you in this movie in a way that like, I don't like John Michael Higgins, great actor. He's put a ton of his time in. Not everybody can be as like lucky as like a, 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 a Michael McKean. Um, but like John Michael Higgins, I don't think has quite earned that. So it, it is a little suspicious um, when you're watching it and you're just like, this doesn't sit right with me. But mm-hmm. it is a movie that I adore, and at the end of the movie, they're portraying a functional gay couple. There's no, there's no like um, hints that uh, that they're about to implode the way there is about like Hamilton and Meg. Like that, yeah. that that is where I think it strikes some balance. But I'm also speaking as like a cis straight dude, so no. I mean, it's it's uh, again compared to the other queer characters in Christopher Guest's. Of your <laughs> the four people in this that wind up in same sex relationships are happier at the end of the movie than they are yeah. at the start of it. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's right. Incredible. Like that's hard for a film to pull off in twenty twenty one, let alone two thousand. I I love Michael McKeon, you know, I, I don't know if uh Better Call Saul is like exactly what he will be remembered for but i've watched that show i guess twice through now and every time i'm just amazed that mike he's McKeon, so goddamn good in that he's amazing he's and so he's everything he's funny he's heartbreaking he's he's, he's villainous he does he does ev- everything that it's you need. so he's good, villainous also, with like you also understanding a little bit of like where he's coming from yeah. a lot like which is a, which is a tough balance to get right like a uh, a it's, villain where you're sympathetic for that's the thing yeah. he like plays it the only time i've ever like pitied the villain is michael mckeon yeah. in better call Saul. yeah um and he's just he is one of the greats yeah absolutely and you know what's funny is like this tells you how much like 70s sitcoms specifically have really like missed me in my entire mm-hmm. life like you know like as i was doing like some research for the show 
or just like looking at you know i guess uh actor's history and like seeing some touch points especially before we did spinal tap like we were like what is michael mckean gonna be remembered for well he was on 146 episodes of laverne and shirley <laughs> i guess yeah he plays uh lenny and or squiggy yeah i've never i've never seen the show uh i guess there was 146 i mean i'm familiar with yeah. the theme song and the concept and stuff like that but it, it's so funny to be like oh this person i first heard of from like clue and like weird like mm-hmm. made for tv disney stuff and stuff like that and then you know saw spinal tap and best in show and stuff like that like he had this whole i mean 146 episodes i don't know if you guys know this it's a lot of episodes even Jesus, for that's a lot a, of work yeah even for 70s television so uh yeah what a what a what a great career uh he's had and it's i'm so glad though that he's gotten like a better call saul to just be like yeah. win some emmys or at least get nominated for some Emmys and really recognize that he's not just a a funny goofy character. Like he, there's he can bring a lot of humanity to anyone he plays, and I think that is on full display in this movie. Which I think we should transition to talking for more uh, talking about um, even more. <laughs> not that we haven't, but are you guys ready to talk even more about Best in Show? Yes, we usually bow wow bow wow delish rough. <laughs> this is gonna get rough. God loves a terrier. Yes, he does. God loves a terrier. That's because small, sturdy, bright, and true. They give their love to you. God didn't miss a stitch. Be it dog or be it bitch. When he made the Norwich merrier with its cute little derriere. Yes, God loves a terrier yeah so before we do the plot recap since we already were uh so excited to talk about it, we got right into it i did want to you know since we're kind of doing a little bit of a guest journey from from spinal tap to a mighty wind and beyond in a movie that shall not be named because uh, <laughs> uh, we respect our guests everyone and they're weird to me we also had to get them just the brown m&ms and we sent it to them and it was pretty lengthy and they melted in the summer heat but you know what <laughs> if that's what gets liam on this show we're gonna do it i also yeah. demanded a, a goat in my uh hotel room that i have not seen yet uh, well you didn't you didn't demand that we tell you which hotel room <laughs> okay it trust oh, gotcha. us it's there <laughs> okay you just gotta, you just gotta <laughs> listen for the sounds. Uh, I'll, I'll smell for the cumin. <laughs> Perfect. We do. We did wrap them in extra cumin. So, uh, as as I try to like a an oral and uh, and uh, olfactory uh, mystery. Um, so he does waiting for Guffman, a movie that is you know kind of him returning uh, a little bit on his own, right? Like McKean's not in that. Shear's Shear and Shear and McKean are not in it. Uh, they do write the songs for that movie, as we mentioned. Yeah. So after, so he he does Waiting for Guffman, a critical success. Comes back to the to the the genre that he helped pioneer. Comes back again, at least from uh, somewhat alone, at least um, uh, on 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 uh, from his previous cohorts. Rob Reiner, I guess, never shows up again. Uh, not true of McKean and and Shear. Um, and it's a critical success. It has like four star review from Roger Ebert, uh, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes as they look back on those historical reviews. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, cause I mean, 
I I'd never heard of this movie even after like becoming like it it was it took me discovering Best in Show, discovering Spinal Tap to find out oh he made another movie I've never heard of. Um but not not much of a cultural imprint. He but but like critics loved it. Comedy fans obviously loved it. They already liked Christopher Guest. But here's a movie with this great cast that hadn't been featured in much or hadn't been featured in much notable in a while like Eugene Levy who obviously Hasn't hasn't hit his uh, Jim's Jim's dad uh, cultural ubiquity slash nadir, um, but uh, yeah, he hasn't been straight tripping boo yet. No, no, he <laughs> man. Not. Thank that, God that guy. Fool. Like, let's. I'm so glad that he got a redemption with Shit's Creek and like because he's such an amazing person. But man, when he when he was the only one appearing in the like straight to video American Pie sequels <laughs> like ba- Bandcamp and stuff, it's. You can't help but feel like both like good for you, dude, you know, pay your rent or your mortgage or whatever. But also, oh, man, you're a comedy legend that has been, has been ruined by uh, by main the mainstream. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I can't. As I get older, the yeah, le- I, I, no I get less punk about yeah. this stuff. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, the dude needed to pay some fucking bills. And he they probably shot this movie in two weeks. If someone is, gave me a hundred thousand dollars to appear in minutes, American Pie, yeah. taken a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, who wouldn't do that? But um, and he now famously has two kids that he probably had to feed for the early two thousands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shitty movies. I yeah. mean, again, I he he would have been a comedy legend, one of my favorite people ever. It's so great that though he like he is he is going to be known, I think, more for the eldest shit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, over over Jim's dad, uh, which is definitely a property that has completely faded from yes. ubiquity. Thank um, God, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those sort of like shock jock movies are are kind of gone. But I think that that did. That's the reason that Shit's Creek didn't start taking off in the public consciousness. Was well, one, it was on a, a was it on True TV in the states? What what, what was it? On? I, no, it wasn't on True TV. It was on um, I forget. Oh, it's it not oxygen. Yeah, it was not pivot. It was like, um, it was where it was crackle live, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Roku TV, <laughs> Paramount negative. <laughs> it was a uh, Libby, which was long bites instead of Quibby. <laughs> uh, I, uh, sorry, Liam, not to correct you. I think it was on Nibby, which was normal bites. <laughs> It was on. It was on Crab Apple Plus, everyone's uh, favorite streaming service. But anyways, it, it was on. It was on a nothing. It was on a nothing yeah. channel here, and then it became huge uh, from Netflix. From Netflix. Uh, I do think though, right even when people the end, like like the last near, near the two end, to yeah. three seasons, I do think though, like my initial hesitancy was a hundred percent based on Eugene Levy's. Um, uh, Jim's dad, Rebion. Like, obviously, I know. I, no, I, I was like, he'll take any fucking. He'll take out. anything, and the thing is called Shit's Creek, and it also has Chris Elliott noted. I guess I'll take anything who used to be a comic genius. Yeah, um, and Chris Elliott like, is too weird. Where you're like, yeah, man, like I get it. Go, go get your money. Yeah, and he's playing a character named like I can't remember. Rolling shit. Like, Roland shit. Thank you. Which you know, not a not a character name that really. Is a firm endorsement for the I, comedic talent of that show to come. Oh uh, yeah, so yeah, so they um, so obviously successful movie, and then there's this like 
what, uh, what is it called? The Blacklist script? That's yeah, the Blacklist. The, it was yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. Um, a distribution where, channel for unproduced scripts unproduced that, scripts. People, that people just like, they, they yeah. love. But, you know, it's also something that like had a very high pedigree, I think, like 10 or 15 years ago. And then eventually it was like the Blacklist did script. They, yeah, did they make produced. a... In the end, none of them were all that good. Yeah. But this this was one of those. Like a script that had been around Hollywood that everyone went, this is like brilliant. But like do we have the ability to spend this much money on a comedy? And so uh, it was supposed to be uh, not – it was supposed to be a little bit more like uh, R-rated but also like really leaning into the historical accuracy of everything and finding a lot of comedy in it. Like I think uh, one of the script writers – uh talks about uh and the, one of the producers talks about how like they were really were trying to go for a uh, very subtle smart like clever comedy and like they were really worried about prestige so they were going after some big uh comedians at the time people like bill murray and one of their big things of like we're gonna make this like you know uh super super true to the characters and everything else we're going to get Christopher Guest to direct. Like, great, you know, this is a person who has an amazing pedigree. Uh, the script is called Almost Heroes, which becomes a movie, which we'll talk about in one second. Uh, but they, you know, he didn't write it, but they brought him in being like, look, this guy, Spinal Tap, waiting for Guffman is this, you know, uh, this five-star movie that hasn't been discovered. Uh, let he, You know, he's a comedy legend from The Princess Bride. We're going to get him to direct. And we're going to produce the script. And what ends up happening is that it is a movie that even the producers talk about, like, how much they, like, like uh, the the producer and one of the writers feels like they, they let down Christopher Guest, that they let down the screenwriters. Like, we took this amazing comedic thing, hired a, for the most part, great cast of characters, even if a lot of the people weren't our first choice. Notably, it's, like, Chris Farley's. They get Chris Farley, which ends up being big. They're trying to pair him with, like, another, like... You know, a Bill Murray, as I mentioned before, like another like generational comedic voice. Uh, no one wants to do it. They end up getting Matthew Perry, who is uh, someone I liked on Friends, who is not a good actor. Definitely terrible in this movie. Um, and it, yeah, it just it ends up be it ends up getting cut and changed. And Eugene Levy's actually in it to this like extremely broad, lowbrow, like um, a Beverly Hills Ninja type. Uh, Chris Farley movie and it I, I didn't rewatch it for this show mainly because I watched it at like maybe like five or six years ago on a lazy Saturday when it was on Netflix and I'm like because I saw it in theaters at a time when I was you know 13 which feels like even if the movie's bad it's like the the one time in my life where I may not find it bad and I remember thinking it was terrible and then like after I discovered Christopher Guest directed it and Eugene Levy's in it like as I got older, I was always one of those like, oh, maybe it was too smart for me, <laughs> you know, at 13. And I missed how funny it was. And I, I remember rewatching it like five or six years ago and being like, this is the fucking worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is truly terrible. So, you know, Guest is uh, who's famously not a uh, not a generally like uh, who's a very serious person. I'm going to put it that way. Uh, was like, I like was very frustrated by coming in, working with someone else's project, trying to make something that he thought would be successful and be able to make pa pa uh, passion projects. And instead ended up being like a critical flop, uh, notable mainly for the death of one of its uh, lead actors. And even with that grace of critics, cause it was released pos uh, uh, posthumously 
Uh, even with that grace of critics going, hey, this is Chris Riley's last performance we'll ever see because it came out six months after his death, everyone still gave it one star because it, it is just that bad of a movie. Uh, you know, he decides, I'm going to go back to Guffman. That's where I had, I felt like I was doing something new and special. And he goes and makes uh, Best in Show. But, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot. This is really where, like, this this year... You know, for all of us that have now lived with mockumentaries as first something that felt fresh and new and then became like the laziest way to make a sitcom, 2000, when Best in Show comes out, is the year that like mockumentaries, uh, you know, kind of go a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say mainstream yet, that obviously comes later with like The Office and stuff like that, but starts to be the germ that people start picking up because of this movie, which... Not just a critical uh, success, but also a, you know, uh, uh, some award success uh, made twice its budget at the box office success. But it's also the year that Korean Enthusiasm comes out and becomes a big hit for early, you know, the the, the comedy prestige television on HBO uh, when it's, you know, finding its bearings with stuff like Oz and Sopranos and stuff like that. So, it you know, this movie really is like coming it almost serves as the intersection between the spinal taps and the real lives and the even the uh the waiting for guffmans and like you know is kind of responsible for for making that big leap to the offices and the parks and recreation and you know modern families for that matter of of movies that are like yes this is the format we need to do improvisational mockumentary style and a, a, a sort of context where it's less about your director saying, yeah, I don't fucking know, man. I drank so much last night. Just do whatever the fuck you want. And more the director saying, hey, we've been friends for 20 plus years. I trust you. Um, we can build something together. Uh, here's the structure of the scene. Here's what your character is. I'm going to give here's you some the time point to you need the to hit. Yeah. You need to hit these points. But if you go a little off the rails, I can either redirect you back to the rails or we can build new rails to to follow uh, the direction you're going. Um, yeah. Which I think for somebody like Eugene Levy is probably very liberating. Someone from an improv background uh, and from a comedy background where you got to literally perform live on television in Canada yeah. um, with some of the other most like talented uh, actors of, of uh, that comedic generation. So that's how we got Best in Show. Peter, what happens in Best in Show? Best in Show is a documentary about the Mayflower Kennel Club. Um, it's a real documentary. Um, it is a mockumentary, which is a term I've never been com- comfortable with. Um about various contestants who uh, compete in the Mayflower Kennel Club in, I believe, all different categories. Um, so the, the central couple is Jerry and Cookie Fleck, um, who have a, uh, a terrier named uh, Winky. So they're in the toy category, I guess. And they're sort of... Uh, suburban working class kind of couple and they like you know are driving their rv in to the to the city and uh they have like a very good support system and 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 seem like a pretty functional couple like we discussed in the first half um barring the fact that cookie is uh has a extremely wild past and has slept with a lot of people and these people feel for some reason compelled to walk up and talk to her while she's talking she's clearly like with her husband uh, and be like, oh man, you were so good. I have banged a lot of cocktail waitresses in my day, but you were the best. Um, 
And then another couple is Hamilton and Meg Swan, who sort of frame the movie. Um, they are... Uh, the, 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 the movie opens with a couple in therapy and it sort of implies that like their child saw them having sex and is now traumatized. Um, but instead they're projecting, uh, their dog walked in, in a, in a very, very, very funny pan. Um, even if you know, this is a movie about a dog competition, um, that their dog saw them having sex and they're just projecting, uh, their insecurities on their dog. Uh, that's going to be a theme throughout the movie. Um, the other couple, or one of the other couples, is Scott and Stefan, uh, a gay couple with uh, a Shih Tzu. I don't know dog categories. Is I mean, a Shih Tzu would be in the toy category, and then a Terrier would be in something else? I don't know. They don't compete against each other um, in their initial, uh, the initial competition. Um, and that's another thing that helps is because it builds a li- a little bit of competition later in the movie because all the dogs are in separate categories. So it can kind of guide us to the final conclusion where dogs of different categories get to compete for the best in show. Um, so the other couple is, um, one moment, um, Jane Lynch and Jennifer Coolidge's characters. One moment. Sherry Ann and Leslie. There no, Sherry Ann and Christy. Sherry Ann and Christy Cummings, yes, you're you're hundred percent right. Sherry Ann uh, and uh, Sherry Ann is a, <laughs> clearly sort of portrayed as like a trophy wife for a extremely elderly man, sort of a sort of a gold digger trope. Um, and she has sponsored uh, this poodle. Um, uh, was it Rhapsody in Blue or just Rhapsody? Rhapsody in White. Rhapsody in White. There we go. That's funny. Um, good joke. Um, Rhapsody <laughs> in white, uh, a poodle, a standard poodle, uh, who is uh, has won twice before, I believe, and is trying to trying to shoot for a third. And they're kind of throwing their money around because um, Sherry Ann has used her husband's money to support this particular kennel. This particular kennel run by Jane Lynch's character, Christy Cummings, um, and they're sort of behind the scenes, like having little like tiffs, but they're clearly like kind of falling in love with each other um, or in lust with each other. Um, and uh, they uh, they sort of uh, are the, 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 the dominant sort of sta- the, the um, status quo forces. And it's sort of just following these couples. Did I miss any of the couples? You haven't mentioned Harlan. I haven't mentioned Harlan. Yeah, it's because he's not in a couple. Harlan and it, it's a bloodhound. I don't know about that. What about his uh, his ventriloquist? <laughs> yeah, Harlan, who works <laughs> at like a. I don't want to talk about the the horror elements of this movie. <laughs> Just yeah, yeah. Let's it's... go and honky tonking down it. <laughs> That's a hard word. Gosh. So natural, oh, 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 oh natural white pistachio. Harlan, you stop naming nuts. (laughs) Macadamia nut? That was the one that always set my mama (laughs) Go crazy. Those are quotes in the movie. Um, So so they 
Uh, yeah, uh, Harlan uh, has a bloodhound uh, and works in sort of a bait and fi- a fishing shop. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, they've all kind of competed in competitions and they're, they're, they're shooting for, for best in show now. So they're driving into Philadelphia. They, ch- they all check in the same hotel. They go to a uh, sort of meet and greet, like wine mixer. There's also a more um, highfalutin wine mixer, um, wherein like the, it's, it's, it, the movie has no interest in it, or at least the edited final version of the movie has no interest in it, but it's kind of hinting that, like, Sherry and uh, Christy, kind of because they have the money, they can kind of throw some influence around. But um, they don't invite everyone. Like, there's there's actually, like, a like a Mayflower, like, meet and greet in that the they don't participate in. Yeah, they throw their own kind of party, and it's it, they invite the a lot of the um, competition you know judges or the um you know bob bell band's character who's famously yeah. very sober about this whole competition he's just very like um yes i mean this is incredibly important let's not make jokes about this and no you, <laughs> you you will not be able to buy my influence um one of my one of my favorite parts of this movie is the bob bell band uh fred Willard uh, you can interview. You can never have too little Bob Balaban no. in the movie. No. He's such a he's such a perfect presence for liter- Bob Balaban is a fascinating dude. I would love to do a Bob Balaban month, which is like, uh, what is it? Is it Parents? Is this horror movie he made? Oh yeah, wow. and then Great just movie. like and then just like three other examples of Bob Balaban being amazing. Like I obviously love him in um, is it, it Moonrise Kingdom? He's talking about storm yeah. storm patterns and shit, and it's the best scene in the movie. Like, I love that movie. He's, it's still the best scene in the movie. He's just, like, a never-ending joy whenever he shows up in things. Like, Be- beautifully Gosford strange, Park. Man. Oh, he's so... Oh. I forgot he's in Gosford Park. That's yeah. a movie full of amazing character actors. Yeah. And when he pops on screen, you're like, well, we gotta see what Bob Bailby's up to. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then he's in, like, all of the Wes Anderson. He was in... Oh, he, uh, just recently, he's been in that show, The... The chair on Netflix. Yeah, well, and he was in um, a mockumentary before Waiting for Guffman, one of the early ones that we haven't really talked about, which is uh, one I actually really like quite a uh, bit, uh, is uh, Bob Roberts. I didn't know that was a mockumentary. Yeah, it's uh, Tim Robbins kind of plays uh, like Mm -hmm. a a, a, yeah conservative, uh, uh, folksy, like, you know, ideologuer. You know, demagogue uh, who gets everyone to vote for him because he's so folksy, even though he has uh, uh, a bunch of reprehensible views. Yeah, it's a mockumentary. That would never like, happen. Uh, yeah, I know. If, if anything, it feels like it's kind of like when I watched uh, fuck. What's that? Uh, what's that Andy Griffith movie? Um, from oh, facing the crowd. Facing crowd. Yeah. yeah, we could do hey. a whole. We could do that. We could do Dead Zone. We could do a whole month of like yeah. movies that predicted Trump and then uh, and need yeah. to go on like. Uh, fucking Thorazine <laughs> at the end of the month. Yeah, no, I know, but I did watch Face in the Crowd like, uh, like last year near the end of Trump's presidency, and I was just like, this is such a good movie, but man, it it's bumming me out. I think Bob I think... Roberts would really bum everyone out right now. Anyways, what what else happens in this movie? They're at the oh, Mayflower. Yeah. So they all go to they all go to the competition, the Mayflower Kennel Club competition, uh, and they bring their dogs and. All except for Hamilton and Megan, uh, Hamilton and Meg proceed through the initial round of their class. Um, and it's because uh, Hamilton and Meg are extremely best, best in breed. Couple. Best in breed. Best in breed, yes. Best in breed. And then. Uh, they've, uh, sorry, they've all already gone through best in breed. That's how they get there. 
Best in class, you were correct. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, shoot. Yes, yes. Best in class. So they all they all get through best in class except for Hamilton and Meg. Um, and that's because throughout the movie they've been arguing and we need to pause to talk about fucking Busy Bee. Um, Busy Bee is the <laughs> toy that they have been fixated on. That this is the toy that will calm down their dog. And go, Hamilton, she's freaking out! Because Parker yeah, Busy it, it, is... It, it, She's so good in this movie. She's so fucking good. I mean, both of them are really, really good. But, like, Parker Posey elevates this movie above just, like, yuppie jokes about them being in love with Starbucks and being in love with J. Crew and Macintosh and, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, they're, it elevates them far above um, just, like, jokes of the times and makes it into a genuine statement about, like, these people are going to be gentrifiers in a new and bold and bad way in five years. Like they're going to be more, they're going to be like post hipster hipsters in five years. They're going to like, they're going to be wearing checkered. Uh, was it like a Buffalo plaid and khakis that are like really well fitted in five years. Like they're going to be less obviously dorkish in five to five or 10 years. Once like the, the, the whole hipster fashion thing uh, becomes in vogue. They the thing about Parker Posey's performance here is that Parker Posey is imbuing every scene with a sense of either performance or just like desperation spiraling in a way that like you you you're either laughing at her or you're like gasping in shock at what she's saying yeah. like when she's yelling at a uh a, a room attendant uh who's cleaning the room but she's like helping look for for uh busy bee because the uh hotel manager uh who's played by uh ed begley jr also just pause here ed begley jr one of the only like really like sincerely great nice people in this movie he's like in in that yeah, so like, and he's so great though like like 30 percent of the so movie good. is just like really nice sweet people yeah <laughs> yes um i mean all of the characters are treated yeah, all the characters are treated with some sympathy, save maybe the swans. He is, like, the person that actively helps everyone he encounters. Yeah. <laughs> Even Meg Swan, who is trying to find a Weimaraner's stuffed bee toy. A Weimaraner that, to jump back in the movie, had already attempted to possibly bite a guy. Yeah. Yes. At well, this point, at this point, this this dog is extremely stressed out. It's not that the dog doesn't have adequate training or whatever. This dog has clearly already won best in breed. Um, cause, yeah, because they're yell. I mean, they're just yelling at him. And even the toy. As the competition is escalating. Yeah, they're, like they're escalating. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, like they really don't get the idea of like one of the ways you make a dog ready for a competition is to calm them now, not try to like fucking we are marshal them. But um <laughs> you know, they um the the other thing that's like I really like about the busy bee part is that um uh like we never see it work. Like he's so he, like at no point does he take any interest in the busy bee that we see, it's usually, like, squeaked in his face as he, like, just sits there, like, with that sad dog look on his face that's, like, heartbreaking to see a good dog actor, uh, hopefully, acting there. I think I think you can actually make the, the uh, logical leap that at no point did Busy Bee work. They were just so convinced by it uh, because they decided that's what worked for their dog, and then they got sucked up into it and i like i actually love the scene as a pet um, at the pet store besides just the obvious 
Parker Posey playing against that very quiet pet store <laughs> owner, like just really trying to help someone who's being ridiculous. But like he's also he's also so calm during all of this that you can tell that he's dealt with crazy dog owners for years now. There's something like just very familiar about that Gen X yuppie-ish um, way of like, if you don't give me exactly what I want, I will spite my own face to show you exactly how much I'm not going to like compromise for you. Um, yeah. And like that, that, that thing of like, I'm giving all these options that are like close to it. But you didn't give me exactly what I demanded. I guess it's like, you know, in some ways, not to use an overused internet meme word, but like it is like the, you know, proto proto Karens uh, yeah. where it's like not like you didn't give me exactly what I needed when I needed it. Forgetting the fact of how unreasonable it would be for to go to a pet store and demand like they have the exact like you're been to a pet store and got a squeaky toy. They're just in a bucket. You think they order yeah. like we need five busy bees and, and five parrots and five cows like no, that's an unreasonable demand, especially if an, uh, you know, the size of the pet store that it is. But like I'm going to I need this. It's an emergency, but you're not giving me what, what I need. So I'm going to not take any of your suggestions and I'm going to go back with something that is completely unhelpful all for the sake of not being willing to compromise what I believe is like a level of customer service. And then it ties in so well to what could easily be a throwaway joke about how they prefer to order from catalogs so they don't have to deal with people in retail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's it's a, such a delicate, subtle thing that this movie really rewards on repeat viewings. Like, the little lines that, like, at first glance aren't that funny because, like, on the first glance you're just laughing at the big jokes. Like, oh, that they met at uh, because there were two Starbucks they met at across Starbucks the street, across the street, which is yeah. like a fairly like old stand-up joke, but the joke gets funnier with the small details and them talking about catalogs and him uh, sort of the, the conversation sort of spiraling into um, mundanity where <laughs> they're talking about like their coffee orders um, and like how like <laughs> I was a, I was a double espresso guy back there, and she's like, um, like that, <laughs> yeah, before the lactose. But he's also like, I don't do that anymore. Like he's like recanting his wild days. Right? Oh my god, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is they're talking about like, oh man, like the the old days. We were so young and 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 wild. Now I'm a soy milk guy. Um, and uh, I have to comment here as someone who had adult braces. Um, I had a baby tooth that I lost when I was 27. And then I just wow. had a big fucking hole in my mouth and they were like, and, they, and I was like, I went into a dentist or an orthodontist and I was like, let's put a fake tooth in there. Let's see what happens. And they're like, no, there's an adult tooth up there. I'm like, what? Um, so they, they had to drag an adult tooth out of my gums, which is just like a perfect metaphor for arrested development. And um, they, uh, I had to get adult braces and I never had them as a teenager. So it was particularly like embarrassing and I had to do the, it's not quite on the level of needing to relearn to talk, but you do need to adjust your sort of speech patterns and constantly taking little like swallows because like you're producing more saliva and like. Peter almost quit the show over it. <laughs> I said, I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to record for a while because like, or I'm going to need to take a break from the show for a while because like, 
right now I sound like a 14 year old. Like, like, Hey, Aaron, how you doing? Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I thought it would be great if the tone matched the content, but you were not as into that idea. Yeah. I did not want to cover, uh, movies about children with braces. Um, <laughs> Not what I meant, but anyway. But yeah, so I, I, uh, but yeah, I, I had a adult with braces thing, and so like I found these scenes particularly funny because, um, particularly as we just did Blade Trinity, um, Parker Posey seems more comfortable talking with what are clearly like some sort of fake prosthetic braces. Nope. No, they, they are actually not. put no, braces no, on no, her. no. She well, she elected to actually get real braces. Really. Yep. Yes. So she gets she gets better line readings in this movie because of the environment and because of the script than she does in uh, Blade Trinity, where they give her. And my theory about Blade Trinity is one of the things that makes it the worst is uh, they have extremely bad fake vampire teeth, and none of the actors yes. seem comfortable with them, um, which is not true of Blade One or Two. In uh, in this, I'm like she's 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 had enough time with the apparently real braces she's clearly like working through it like the way you do with anybody like when i had braces it took me like three days and then i was like i know my i know what i have to do i just need to slow down how i'm talking i need to swallow more and then i can sound somewhat normal um she's clearly like leaning into like that in a way that is incredibly legitimate like it's very believable and it, it's just it's 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 a it's it's a, an adult thing like it's it's just like i i can see the humanity behind your obvious just like the joke is they're adults with braces and there's some sort of like the joke for them is that there's some sort of vanity there that yuppies are willing to spend a lot of money to fix their teeth even if it makes them look ridiculous like i'm guessing that's the joke there but like she's like performing such humanity in that in those shots that the jokes just sing that much more because it feels less yeah. mean it just feels it feels like i'm watching an actual pair of human beings attempting to work through what is like clearly just like a crisis of like on to the next thing on to the next thing on to the next thing on to the next dog on to the next fad on to the next fashion thing we need to find new coffee because the problem is i'm drinking lactose that's clearly the reason <laughs> i'm irritable like yeah. because of the lactose it's clearly, it's clearly, that's clearly what's making them irritable, right? Is the lactose. Or like, we need to change our diet. We need to do this and this and this. Well, I'm a diehard Parker Posey fan. Yeah. I good. could, I could dig out the super yaki shirt I have that says, and Parker Posey as, uh, I can't remember her, Josie and the Pussycats character name. <laughs> but either, the, I think that's the same year as this, maybe? As is. Uh, year after, yeah, 2000. Year after, okay. Scream 3 is around the same time where same she gives yep. the best performance in that movie by a landslide. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like, it's her and Carrie Fisher acting opposite each other. That is the reason to watch Scream 3. And she's just like, she had a a series of years where she was just like in big budget movies playing a Parker Posey character. People had gotten to know in Bombac Noah Bombac movies and The House of Yes, which is a personal favorite, another favorite of mine, or Hal Hartley stuff. But then you know she also is in uh, again. This is a few years before uh, Best in Show, but you've got Mail as oh yeah Tom Hanks's annoying girlfriend, 
who oh my god she's she's yeah. she's a she, it feels like that she could be meg swan a few yeah. years before she met hamilton or something well she's she kind of falls into this in the early 2000s playing like the know-it-all bits that yeah is there is a, there is a lot of like we don't like movies didn't know what to do with her necessarily yeah. and they tried a lot of things and like um, it's it's not that she was like it's not one of those things where well she's clearly talented but she's not doing well in the movie she she does well in all those movies but either they don't click with audiences or they don't become successful or like you know the movie around them just doesn't quite work especially after the accolade she gets and stuff like kicking and screaming and in House of Yes so like it like I think finding Christopher Guest really was like okay this is the thing that she can that she is uh, does that. Um, like where she just fits perfectly into the rest of the movie because the rest of the movie is surrounded by other funny people. It's very competently made. It's a very funny idea, you know, handled by a very good director. And she still tends to be the standouts, I think, in Guffman yeah. and, and this and this movie because, like, she just fits so perfectly into this type of movie. She does, and it's just you know, I we we talked about this with Eugene Levy where he kind of took on some smaller or some smaller roles in bad movies, probably to pay the bills. You know, Parker Posey has kind of almost done the opposite of that in the same sort of movies where she'll take a small role and make it the star of the show. I mean, yeah. I've not seen Superman Returns since it was in theaters. She's good, but though. I, yeah. I, that's the thing. I, she's like the only part of it that I remember is her, like, sitting on... Uh, the actor that plays Lex Luthor in that, who I can kind of picture everything about except for his name and everything that he's ever done. Yeah, I think he died. Um, yeah, he's he's gone. He's just gone. He's just but gone. you know, she's and, and like played poof. Never yeah, and the, the it's amazing that that movie was directed by itself as well. Uh huh. Hey, a lot of movies that can win Academy Awards can be directed by themselves. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I just love that. You can get Parker Posey playing, like, the most interesting role in a big-budget superhero movie, or playing, like, the sad ex-wife in a debut feature from Kogonada that, like, she's in a scene of and is incredibly tense. Like, she's just... She is an incredibly special actress. And every time I see Parker Posey show up in something it's usually a sign that i am going to be interested in seeing it she's poised to she's poised like just the just the way that like jennifer coolidge is getting a lot of notice now for white lotus um yeah parker posey is 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 absolutely poised to lead in the next uh white lotus or succession or blah 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 or yes. or or you know less um less sort of public recognition but um more like a you know reviewer recognition like yeah um so i where are we at with the movie i think we're at the we're two hours into the yeah hamilton and Meg, <laughs> so where i was at with the recap is hamilton and max one get wiped out because uh they've been stressing their dog out so much that they um the dog has a freak out on stage the dog is incredibly anxious its owners are yelling at it the dog has n nothing to rely on um so uh that the, they get uh escorted off the stage um, by security. A guy calls him like a goddamn asshole or something. Hamilton yeah. calls him like a goddamn asshole. Um, and yeah. we won't and see that until he walks out. 
Yeah, which I love that, like, they lose the competition, then they're out. They're out of the movie, yeah. 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 And and, uh, and you, you feel their absence in ways, too. When they show up as the, like, bookend at the end, you're kind of, when they're back in the counselor's office, but this time uh, they have a dog that likes watching them fuck, that they also <laughs> bring to the therapist to fuck his leg. Um uh, like you're like oh yeah <laughs> like not that you've forgotten how, you know Parker Posey and stuff like that but it is like oh we're coming back to them good I you know I was so yeah. wrapped up in, but in part of that is because of the the drama that we talked about like I was you know you're so wrapped up kind of in who's who's gonna win and then what the what the after effects from the victory is that you almost like are like oh yeah they were kicked out yeah I yeah so they um. They, they get eliminated, and then in the final competition, you have sort of all the rest of the main couples in, in, in uh, Harlan up against each other, and uh, Jerry trips on something. Oh, sorry. Uh, cookie, cookie. Cookie trips on something. Um, cookie trips on nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's very clear that her, like, knee just buckled or something goofy happened what how do you guys interpret this because to they're very clear I, that like I mean, I absolutely think it's just nothing silly. is there no one sabotaged I, I think that them. she just trips over silly. her own two feet yeah, yeah. but there's and she goes there is who next... tripped me someone put something there I'm like it's a flat green <laughs> what did terrace. i trip on it's a there's, a there's a there's a will yeah i forget there's a will ferrell thing that i always like uh, mainly because my kids would do that a lot, where they would like bump into something and then be angry at like who put, put this there. here? They'd yeah. Be, yeah, like who put that there? No one in the last ten minutes. Yeah, I, I know the reference. I don't know. I can't remember what, what movie it's from. from either. But I um, uh, the, but the, the the exact tone of just who yeah. put that there is in my head. I would I would also definitely give um, an Oscar alone for this shots of uh Catherine O'Hara another class A all-time great actress walking on her screwed up knee and buckling her leg in with every step she takes oh the the like the like weird waiver she does where it's clearly it's, like it's clearly m- like psychosomatic like this is clearly like, whatever it is she is she she is walk I mean I don't know if it, I have never taken it as psychosomatic actually um, I, I see it as like something has happened and something has happened to her that it's now this is like um, she's just been so startled by this moment. She's now uh, fixated on the idea that mm-hmm. her knee hurts and now she's performing. Oh, the, no, I just I I guess I, I never took I it that way. I always took it as like uh, when people say I got the Jimmy Lake. I think that's what I'm seeing for the yeah. first and only time in cinematic history. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love like the shots of her like walking and then her knee buckling inwards as she's like, and, like running shaking, down the stairs. Uh, very, yeah. very quickly. And fast. Oh, it's, she's, it's so funny. She is giving that her all. Can I? Can we? I also want to say about her performance because I think at this point we're we're probably just going to go character by character because you know in some ways the plot doesn't really matter anyways. Yeah. But uh, oh, they win. We only really they have win. like two characters. Yeah, they, they win, and it shows them afterwards, and they have different funny things. But I will say, like, Kat, like Catherine Hare, there's two movies in a row, and this is quite the talent where she does this like perfect off key singing. Uh, <laughs> it's so good in Guffman. It's <laughs> like you have to be like a very yes, talented singer. Or at least like con- like musical theory person to sing that consistently off key enough that like 
if you like half plug your ears, it's on key, but like yeah. it clearly isn't. Well, and it also it's it's made better by the fact that she sings really well in Mighty Wind next movie. Yeah. yeah, which I I just looked this up when we were taking our little break. Uh, every Christopher Guest movie that has had both Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara has had a musical number they both sing up. Yeah, I guess that's right. Um, apparently even in For Your Consideration. But not in Mascots, because they're not in it. The movie, yeah. sorry to bring it up again, but I know you want to get back to it at some point. <laughs> um, no, I... <laughs> but I, It's okay, we can, we can end it there, we might cut it out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it is, it, like, it is funny watching these back-to-back, because I was like, wait, she can sing, right? Like, I remember her being really good in uh, A Mighty Wind, but, like, it's it's that... Uh, she does this in Waiting for Guffman, too, but it's that thing, like, how, like, you have to be a very good actor to be able to act bad acting mm-hmm. in what you're doing. Like, I've never seen someone who's this good at doing bad singing. Yes. Yeah, she... She, like, hits the right wrong notes. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect way to put it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's great. Uh, it, it, it's great because it's it, it reminds you of, like, if you went to church growing up, like, choir singers and, like, the people that would be there every week just belting it. And you're like, oh, you're so close to understanding what music is. You're so close. <laughs> <laughs> You've almost got it. Let's talk a little bit about Jennifer Coolidge. Um, yes, not in Guffman. Her first talk appearance. About Jennifer Coolidge or Jane Lynch much today well, at all? Hold on, we have we have to do that. We have to talk about Christopher Guest, and we have to talk yeah. about Fred Willard. And I feel like that's that that yeah, that's it. Those those no. those go to the end. But like that said, we could talk or not talk about Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> I could, but I could. We would still then have things to not talk about. Yeah, <laughs> we, we yeah we get done with this whole podcast and still have things to not talk about. <laughs> Soup. Snow peas characters and best in show. Uh, I I told Peter though as we were researching this, I came to a very uh, disturbing realization for myself personally. You guys have not not hit this as well, but I mean, uh, so I American Pie obviously she becomes uh, not a household name actor wise, but a recognizable uh, face, uh, which is kind mm-hmm. of a weird parallel with Eugene Levy. Uh, and they were. She was also a Second City uh, stand-up, but hadn't been in much movies before American Pie. She had played a bit part in Night at the Roxbury, and that's about it. Um, but uh, you know, I when American Pie came out, I was sixteen years old, fifteen years old. Uh, so unfortunately, the perfect age to uh, enjoy it. As I was looking up like roles she had been in, and like you know all the sort of Wikipedia stuff, I noticed that she was thirty-eight. When American Pie came out, and she was, of course, Stifler's mom, wow, um, which is my age today. So that was wow. a weird uh, <laughs> uh, existential crisis that I went through recently. That I've, I've reached Stifler's Stifler's mom's age, and if Stifler um, is what seventeen, eighteen, that's not that unreasonable. Yeah, I mean, no. she's playing uh, the mother of a character that could be her child, but that does not mean that uh, Aaron should have a child <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> yes but uh yes she like this was the first thing i had seen her in after american pie um mm-hmm. and it was like it's one of those things where like in american pie she really it's not that she's not 
good in it because she's good in most things that she's in. But like she, it's more memorable the idea of like the the cultural concept of a milf and like that kind of stuff. Like it, it's seeing her in here that you realize like how funny she is and like i remember yeah. i remember how surprising it was that like a like oh she's really funny obviously not knowing her her improv or comedic history or anything like that like that that line that we already referenced that we could you know talk or not talk is one of those one of those phrases that has just bored my way into everyday conversation yep. randomly we're all you know like we could you know go eat or not eat all night. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. you know, just because it's so well delivered and perfect that it like, like a song, it burrows into your brain and just becomes part of who you are. Yeah. Um, my first exposure to Coolidge was, uh, which, you know, your, your first exposure was, uh, American pie. My first was, uh, a little bit, uh, after that, when she played the stepmom in, a Cinderella story, which is the Hilary Duff okay. Cinderella adaptation, which is I was set like, wait, in... is that the Brandy one? Was... No, no, no. This is okay. the, the Hilary Duff yeah. modern day Cinderella. Okay, um, where she plays the stepmother, and she has a line at one point that is delivered with her wearing uh, like those goggles that you wear at a tanning salon. Where she says to, in her classic Jennifer Coolidge voice, you're not that pretty and you're not that smart. <laughs> and it's just like, it. that's one of those things that's kind of ingrained its way into my memory since I was a, I saw that movie in theaters when I was seven, because the movie came out in 2004. And I was like, this movie is perfect. She is wonderful. And I saw Best in Show probably not that long after that. Um... Which, I don't know if Best in Show is PG, but my family treated it as such. Yeah. Where it just kind of went on, and no one really cared if the kids were not in exactly into it. We became into it. But and she is... like, the dirtier stuff usually gets kind of, like, buried in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the funniest, I guess, kind of dirty jokes is literally uh, John Michael Higgins saying... Oh, and this is my euphemism, <laughs> yeah. Stefan, which, like, I didn't know what a euphemism was when I was eight years old, um, but it's funny now. <laughs> but yeah, she's just, she is playing a very Jennifer coolidge type character, and I think it's kind of great that she's now getting a lot of credit for a very different types of like very different oh, yeah she's so, she's very good i i actually just finished white lotus and she's mm -hmm. so good in that show she's great in that she's really good in uh her two or three scenes of promising a women woman okay. um which has like three people in common with white lotus um but yeah she's great and her arc in best in show is equally hysterical and tender because like the development and basically not even coded coding of her relationship with Jane Lynch before they start making out uh, is so beautiful and so funny. And Jane Lynch, I don't know if she'd ever done anything before this, but she's beyond a household name at this point. Yeah, she's one, she almost has that weird quality that I, I'm not saying I actually feel this way. 
where you know she, you you see her start to take off, and I you know I I knew her from Best in Show, I knew her from Forty Year Old Virgin, and then like you know she's she's um, even though I never watched Glee, like you know when you have one of those people that you're kind of rooting for, you're like oh cool like she's she's getting famous and she's having mm-hmm. a career and that's great like I'm rooting for her. and then like you know after like ten years of like. That I was like, all right, well, calm down, much. <laughs> yeah, she got very famous very fast. Yeah, yeah and, and it, she kind of needed, I think she kind of needed, like, uh, what a lot of these actors need, which is like, okay, you did the mainstream thing that, like, it, you know, made you very famous, which I guess you could argue that when she signed up for Glee, like, doing a Ryan Murphy show about, like, theater kids was... It was mainstream. I would, say that, but like, I would still say that was a surprise. Like how big that show came. Yeah, yeah, exactly what I'm saying. It's it's definitely mainstream, but not necessarily like the. No one could have known that that was going to be the hit. It was. How many Emmy awards do you think Jane Lynch has? I'm going to say she's in the three to four range. I'm going to say it faded out. I'll go. I'll go. I don't know. I forget how. I don't know how long Glee was on. I'm gonna go five. I feel like she ended up being like a fucking Kelsey Graham. So, so she has five. Only one of them is for Glee. She uh-huh. has one supporting actress for Glee, a host of a reality or reality competition program for Hollywood Game Night twi- twice. Oh, I forgot about so, this. Guest actress in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <gasps> She's and really good in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She is. That's kind of like how I got back around to liking her a decent amount was it's a very complex performance and it's like both very broad and then very quiet yeah she's really good in it but my favorite is outstanding actress in a short form comedy or drama series for playing olivia vandersteen in the web series dropping the soap she won for that don't worry um (laughs) the title does not does not Make me think I should go go check that out right after we're done recording. Yeah, um, the, the but top I, so review yeah. on IMDb is one star, and the whole review is just awful. <laughs> well, I uh, I didn't show my work, but I did get the right answer, so I believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, I I really want her to do more Miss Maisel style stuff because she's so like obviously talented and versatile and can do whatever the fuck she wants. Um, and I frankly just want to see more of like she's she is actually like i want to see more like middle-aged funny comedians like lead in shows i want to see like more like older women continue to be funny and for it to not be like uh just like it feels like the only space for that is in like commentary shows like on e and vh1 uh like like talk shit about the kardashians and like that's like yeah like that's a good racket you don't have to leave la to to do that but like jan lynch is extremely talented she should she she should have at a minimum um a big dumb game show that's like yeah not all that interesting didn't you start hosting the weakest link yeah i didn't know that was a thing She's really she's really good at role models to David yeah. movie. I'd recommend that. She's uh really fun in a recurring role in The Good Fight, which Pete, that's like the show that you were talking about. That sounds fun. Yep. That's that, that's, that's like that the, fun. Yeah, she plays um an FBI agent who's uh has a beautiful view from her New York office. Um, but for some reason, birds habitually fly directly into her windows. <laughs> and every episode she's in, 
it's just like another different darker joke about birds flying into her windows and killing themselves. This is specifically, um, I mean, we like to say it was, you know, a genre podcast, a B-movie podcast, a cult movie podcast, and then we became a themed movie podcast. But really, yeah. the ultimate goal of this podcast is a Christine Baranski <laughs> standing podcast. So, uh, yeah, I, let's cover I let's would... cover an entire season of The Good Fight. Why don't we end with the person who made the movie in what I think is his best performance. But let's talk Fred Willard. Um, so Fred Willard, obviously someone who is kind of the king of put him on screen and let him, you know, kill all the jokes. His character here is so great as the person who clearly should not be announcing a, <laughs> uh, a dog uh, a competition. Yeah, he was not much about dogs. no one else was available. <laughs> Yeah, well, he does it every year, right? Yes, they, that's my favorite joke, is that yeah. this has been going on every single year yeah, he, he wasn't a, the other host. Yeah, yeah. He so which is which is so good. It's also like, you know, Fred Willard's really secret sauce is both uh, being not knowing what anything is consistently, mm-hmm. being confident with it, but, but just completely being nonplussed. When he finally has to, like, the, the, that's the reason why I love the interview with Bob Balaban, where he's like, you know, his big question is like, you know, they've discovered now that actually, because it's the Mayflower competition, that, uh, <laughs> that Columbus did not land in Philadelphia. A little known fact. Yeah. yeah a little known <laughs> fact. So what, what, where's your connection to Columbus? And, and, you know, Bob Balaban's like, well, no, like the Mayflower did. No, no, it definitely landed. You know, in the it's, pretty, it's a, in, in, yeah, and he, yeah, and it just like the he's like, well, no, you know, he landed here. He's like, well, no, he had three ships. Remember the the Pinta, and like he doesn't even say the Mayflower. He's like thinking of the third one, and I think you know, and then you know, Bob Balvin's like, yeah, they did land there. That's you know, that's not little known. And and just like, like, well, you know, let's let the historians decide. It is almost like the perfect, like, I hate comparing it to the worst people in our society right now. But it is the, like, he just the way he's able to deliver consistently wrong stuff. <clears throat> be very confident with it when he's corrected. And then when he kind of realizes that he's losing the thread himself, like leave it up to the court of public opinion to decide to decide who's right and who's yeah. wrong like and and not even from a like a uh narcissistic standpoint but just a you know his thing uh we may have talked about it last week or maybe not he was on this a great <laughs> show called fernwood tonight with where he was the sidekick for like a, a fake small small town talk show uh yeah. that aired for like 65 episodes that i was telling pete about that's really great um but I, it's, I want to get into that and it, uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman someday, yes. but it is so hard to track down. Yeah, yeah uh, I actually be on Amazon Prime I or know. Hulu, but it's it's just yeah. not. Yeah, and Fernwood Tonight too was actually something like when you could just buy whole seasons of stuff that people had burned off eBay. I bought from my parents in like 2004, and now you <laughs> can't even do that anymore. Uh, which I was a little disappointed by when I wanted to watch a couple episodes of that, but I did. I did watch a bunch of it in the early 2000s, and it is, you know, speaking of, like, things that you're like, oh, this type of stuff was on television back in, like, the 70s? Why wasn't this the kind of stuff that I was aware of from a, from a sitcom perspective? But um, he, but it's that thing of, like, it's not narcissism or, like, 
inability to be wrong. It's this thing of like, I didn't really care about it that much to begin with. Something that he's like perfected his whole career. Like I'm just, I'm not actually that engaged. And so, yes, I don't know anything, but uh, if my line of questioning or talk track or whatever else goes off the rails, I don't have enough, like, I don't care because I am like, I, I don't even know what to describe it. Like he's just his own, He's, like, not engaging with reality in the way that most of us are. Like, he has no stake in it whatsoever. And the the final thing I'll say uh, here is that it's also, like, I do think that this, like, besides the mockumentary format, I think the other influential thing, like, Fred Willard's character in this movie feels like he established this weird template that, like, goes on in like memorable and non-memorable movies today the idea of the the sports caster mm-hmm. who just knows absolutely nothing about about what he's talking about and as yeah. a way to add uh comedic lines to to things that are inherently hard to get comedy in like uh dodgeball is a really good example that almost lifted this like straight off with jason bateman's character it's, it's still very yeah it's it i dodgeball is my favorite example because it's both a great example of it and also is almost the same joke again the exact same joke yeah very a very still very funny but like the the genius there is realizing like which obviously fred willard and christopher guest do and, and eugene levy who helped you know write this movie too is like man there's like it's gonna be very hard to keep up laughs while we actually do the competition or a part of this movie like there's only so many i fall down jokes that you can have and realizing that you can insert this like very specific type of character as the announcer for it um that like again it's not like an announcer like he's funny because he's saying lewd things or making jokes but just because he is he shouldn't be announcing in general is yeah. such a master stroke that has like become somewhat ubiquitous when you're doing a comedy that has a has a uh, has some sort of competition at the end that you can't that to to, uh, to be able to insert jokes without uh, derailing the dramatic moments of the said competition yeah it's it's a great character um and it's really helps that fred willard is fred willarding <laughs> uh i'm not even i i i'm going to not get into the amazing one-linerness of Fred Willard that much because next week you're going to be talking about Hey, what a, happened? It's I exactly I, I yes that and you that can say, where Liam, he just, you're not going to be on next week. You can say a good Hey, what happened? What happened? <laughs> I was on a, a hit sitcom. It only ran for five episodes or whatever. <laughs> it's the I don't. I've only ever seen a Mighty Wind start to finish once. I've caught it in. Uh, like syn or not syndication, like on reruns and like the back half of it. But that scene of him just going through his various former catchphrases on a show that no <laughs> one knows, I will rewatch often. Um, yeah. But what I think really works about the Fred Willard of it in this is those people exist. Like there's a clip that makes the that that goes around every so often of. Two people on HGTV, or not HGTV, um, the Home Shopping Network, trying to debate among themselves on a live program that, like, you know, people are watching, but not really, whether uh, the moon is a planet or a star. <laughs> and I've not seen that, but I'm going to look it up right now. I will be sending it to you as soon as <laughs> we are wrapped here, don't worry. 
But, you know, it's it's an inane minute and a half conversation. And it's two idiots talking to each other because their job is to fill time. Like, yeah. the Fred Willard types like this exist. Yeah. <laughs> and they exist in our world. Um, and, again, it just – it's made even better by the fact that he plays a even – wackier version of this character in his next in the next christopher guest movie and also has kind of like spent the last few years of his life playing various sycophantic or absolutely loving father figures in shows like review i I was i was hoping you're gonna mention review he's so review is the best such a great such a great it's uh, Fred Willard performance. It's oh, brilliant, yeah. and he is so so good in it. And I think I'm not sure if it's his actual final role, but the no. last thing that not that, but I don't oh. know. Uh, the last thing I can ever remember seeing him in is his episode of "I Think You Should Leave." Oh, yeah. where he plays the uh, organ player at a funeral that brings his own organ. Um, he's just a he's a genius. He's a genius. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I, I I do want to mention too, like my my actual like the the thing that works so well is he just says consistently wrong things, and then I love when like someone accidentally pulls the curtain down and just knows that the emperor kind of has no clothes and everything that they're doing. Like that's a very funny trope for me. Like not someone who's mm-hmm. like intentionally trying to reveal some greater truth of what's going on, but just like, Hey, I'm a dummy off the street. What is this? Like <laughs> when he, when he asked Trevor, the the expert of like, so like, you know, you guys, last you're not doing too. Yeah, like you're not doing any, you're not doing any uh, tricks or anything like that, and you know you're not really knowing if they know commands or anything. So like, is it just, is it all just the grooming, and like the way that Trevor has like no reaction to that because he thinks about it for a second is like, oh shit, is like that all this is (laughs) because they're just looking at like you know that sort of stuff is like such god that like that is the cherry on top of the perfect Fred Willard Sunday here. Oh, and yeah. Tim Piddock is the perfect person to act off of. As oh, well the straight, the straight stuff. man there. The Jim straight Piddock man work better. is just like absolutely yeah. perfect. All of his jokes are very funny, but they're all kind of buried in the mix because Fred Willard is like to the to the benefit of the character um, and of the scene um, is like almost talking over them or like he's been so <laughs> loud that by the time that his partner steps in like it's just sort of like a nice little button on the moment um it's 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 very unassuming and very british um yeah. in, in a way that like i find very i find very charming to just like have this very unassuming very polite guy who like is very enwrapped in the the competition itself and then uh to have this big just dumb dumb guy that clearly doesn't have much interest in the competition he just knows that the 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 role is to talk until the competition is over yeah and he has countless hours to fill countless hours to fill and he does it and fred willard sitting at that table i'm sure was there for hours on end yeah and he just had to keep talking and he did a good job It's, it's it's so it's like yeah when you realize nothing he said was scripted yeah. And like you have 20 minutes worth of him just like there's probably 3 hours of good stuff worth watching there. I I would watch all of it. Mhm. Oh, uh, let's um uh, 
Well, before Let's... we move on to Christopher Guest, okay. I just want to point out, do you know who, did you, did you recognize who plays the guy that delivers Best in Show? Yeah, oh yeah, Twin Peaks, dad. It's Don F. Don yeah, he's the, the general or whatever Peaks. in Twin yeah. Peaks, right? I was, about to, I was about to say a spoiler <laughs> for Twin Peaks, but I know Peter hasn't got through season two yet. It's been oh, yeah. pretty much my entire life, so I think I think we're okay. <laughs> anyway, I just like I love seeing him pop up like yeah. uh, two decades, not two decades, a decade and change after Twin Peaks is already wrapped. Yeah, and it's just uh, like, oh, now he's just playing like a guy with two lines in Best in Show. I don't know. Um, I tell you this. I know. I know. Whenever like time stuff, there's like six years between Twin Peaks and maybe five years in Best in Show. Uh, it's like a decade. It's ninety one. But it ends in ninety three, right? Okay. No, ni- it ends in ninety one. Oh, it starts in the eighties. I thought it started in the nineties. All right. Well, I'm on. I'm on. It's fine. I've been corrected correctly so many times tonight. <laughs> and much like Fred Willard, I'm going to pretend I don't care and move on. Um, let's talk about Guest. Uh, Guest Guest has the the problem of in in, uh, in two of these four movies that we're talking about uh, having a character that I think is relatively well realized and funny in Guffman uh, terrible in, in Mascots and but but leans heavily on isn't aren't gay people funny. Here he like he he just goes to such a different extreme and plays this like uh like this lovable country bumpkin. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't like it's it is his best character in that like he definitely has a lot of funny moments, but man he just feels like the character that like. Like when he wins best in, um, best in, uh, what character? Best in, class. best in class. Best in class. When he wins best in class, like he's the one, like his fist pump and like how much he loves his dog and how he hasn't really had the same level of like, yeah, I like their dog, but you know, this sucks or this sucks. Like, yeah. he's the one like that my, my heart skips a beat and I get that like momentary choke up of, yeah, good for you, Harlan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's just all because of the humanity that's kind of like he he imbues in this in this character that could easily be a one note joke. Yeah, yeah, and and like he's one of the most unassuming characters, which I always like in in waiting for Guffman casting the direct, the director casting himself as the big flamboyant lead of the movie um, is I, I I think you know it causes more problems than just the sort of uh, low key homophobia um maybe high key homophobia i don't know um it, it causes more problems than just that it, it, it uh i i think having the director express some humility here and passing off the reins to some of the most talented comedians of their generation uh and letting harlan be sort of a guy that operates a little bit in the periphery and also having the movie be framed by a different set of characters or a different uh, mm-hmm. set of dog owners i should say um really makes the harlan character more sweet because harlan is just similar to i think what we talked about last week with waiting for guffman this is not 
necessarily all of them doing the thing their life's dream some of them are just kind of passing through this competition or they bought a very expensive dog and they were keeping good care of the dog and all of a sudden someone said hey you should do a dog competition and they said okay maybe some of these people bought dogs specifically for the competition some of them bought a fancy dog and were like you know i could and my i do have a very good dog and i can enter them in uh, you know, a competition and I could take them through that. And then when that time ends, you know, Cookie and Jerry have a little bit of a publicity tour and they got, they get to, you know, make some, some novelty money off of it. But like the rest of them just kind of move on with their lives. Um, and I feel like the fact that Harlan moves on with his life is kind of like, yeah, it's, in, it's indicative of the point of, of these movies that like this, this competition was like just, a. a, a is a pinpoint of where all these unique personalities came together, but this is not the culmination of their lives. Yeah. I yeah. mean, this is a character that hopped on an LL to Haifa faster than a walnut could roll off of a hen house <laughs> roof and talk a kibitz. Uh, but I, I'm, it's one of another of my favorite lines in this movie, but I, I also just love that. Like, you're talking about the Aaron. You mentioned the look on his face after he wins best in class. I love the look on his face in that final shot of him as oh, he's yeah. playing with the lasso, and it's like a mix of stress, disappointment in the fact that he can't get the lasso to go perfectly, and just like exhilaration. I love oh, but, it, so and also much. recognizing that there's a the show must go on. Like I, yeah. I have to keep my audience engaged. Yeah, he seems to know it's not going well, but like let's 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 keep going. He so commits to everything he does, and it's you know we get two including scenes. naming nuts. Yes, uh, Hall and Pepper, <laughs> you not stop naming nuts. Uh, but it's like I love the scene of uh, presumably his family at the saying goodbye to him where they're just oh, like yeah. keep being like catch a good fish out there and he's like i'm not going fishing it's a dog show oh are you gonna catch a fish no i'm not fi-. like it's <laughs> yeah he's he's doing something so outside of like his wheelhouse yeah and it's not like he has a community like the flex do that understand it or the money of the uh, the Rhapsody in White, or Scott and Stefan, or the dog treadmill that the Swans have. He just like he likes being with his dog. Yeah, and people have told him he's a good dog, and he's had other bloodhounds, yeah. and he knows this is a really good bloodhound. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, he's a guy with like stupid but cute passions. Yeah, um, yeah, and I I'm curious if. Uh, this has been talked about before. We can we can stop me, but do you I mean think I'm curious this, too. Yeah, do you think that this is the hottest character that uh, Christopher Guest has played in the eyes of Jamie Lee Curtis? <laughs> Ooh, that has definitely not been talked about last okay. week. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The- I think I think if Christopher Guest found out that you were talking about the fact that he had a life outside of this movie, he would hunt you down and murder you. <laughs> I. Maybe, but I also just think that Christopher Guest, I, I I always like, every so often my brain drifts to them as maybe being my favorite Hollywood couple. Oh yeah, I, well I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gonna, hold on, I'm gonna, I don't know if you know this, Liam, mm-hmm. um, that he is a notoriously, uh, he's very much described as not funny in yes, real life. Yes, I've heard and that. 
um, and he does not. He he's a terrible interviewer, and one of my one of my first memories of like uh, Christopher Gass, and also like a, a lot of confluence about how all of us met is like I used to read the AV Club uh, mm-hmm. since the moment it went on on the web, and there's an interview with Nathan Rabin, who uh, uh, who uh, was like it was a prickly interview to begin with, prickly being the most the nicest thing I can uh, way I can say it, and then he goes. Uh, uh nathan raymond asked like what's it like you know uh you know uh managing like uh you know burgeoning you know f- two two busy schedules being married to jamie lee curtis and he ends the interview i'm not he says something like i'm not here to talk about my my wife i'm here to talk about my movie <laughs> um, i'm and yeah. in that case maybe uh hopefully christopher guest does not hear me talking about um his wife who i the main reason i bring it up is also because i do think that they're one of my favorite couples because yeah. they're both so freaking funny. Yes. Like, <laughs> I've watched uh, Fish Called Wanda a dozen times. I've oh, watched yeah. True Lies enough. I don't know. I just, I love their very similar senses of character-based humor. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I definitely think they, what's what's interesting is that like, Jamie Lee Curtis seems like one of the most affable people that you could meet. She always seems that way in interviews and yeah. stuff like that. They definitely have like, like I th- like, and then you hear Christopher Guest, and he just seems like he. I mean, he he has said himself that he doesn't think of himself as funny. He doesn't particularly like comedy. It's just like it's like uh, it's just something he's good at. Like you know, like if you're a if you're a good artist, you know how to you know how to draw and stuff like that, and. um and like so that's just like he he knows that but i don't think i've ever met or like encountered someone who is primarily known as creating hilarious comedies who seems to despise the idea of being funny in real life where jamie lee curtis obviously i feel at least from her persona her public persona uh doesn't yeah. feel that way but but like She's to your point interview. great interview but like to 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 liam to your point like i think you're 100% right is like where uh where the two of them cross is this like commitment to understanding like character based comedy and stuff like that like they have a very similar way that they approach their craft and not in a way that's like they would discuss necessarily but I great call out that there's like a there's like yeah. a si- similar way that they approach like uh even in some cases very thankless characters yeah they've both played like some very darker roles I mean, less so with Christopher Guest, but, you know, his character in Princess just, Bride yeah, is by no means... Kill, yeah, he just try to kill uh, Fun one. I mean, he's funny, but he's not, like, a nice guy. Um, but, you know, it's... he's. This is also a guy that takes such care in his craft, and his craft just happens to be sketch and improv comedy. Um, which is why Best in the Show is so great is the it's best a bunch of, in his shows there you go it's a bunch of people doing what they love and playing characters and then you know they did it a few times but as i think we've kind of all said a few now this is the best example of them combining their various like the the cast and creators and everything combining their various weirdnesses successfully uh yeah i I, I think that's a perfect summation of this movie. Like this this is uh 
this is really the conf- confluence, I think, of like everything that Guest does well later in his career. It's got drama. It's got real characters. It is by far the funniest. Like, you know, I I, I understand the, how personal preferences work. <laughs> like, it's okay if, uh, if someone prefers a Mighty Wind or Guffman or something like that. But like, it like it is... It is not hard to use this one as a gateway drug for, like... And it wasn't hard uh, when it came out, when there was less of a reference point for, like, this type of movie. Um, where it would be, like, just show people best and shows. One of the reasons I've seen it as many times as I have, not just for myself watching it many times, but in high school and college, at a time when you're, like, you know, this came out when I was, like, a sophomore or junior in, in high school, at a time when you have so much time to devote to have you seen this movie among your friends, uh, this was a, a no-brainer, and I never met anyone who wasn't sucked in pretty quickly into what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what makes this such a perfect 90-minute experience. Yeah. yeah. You sit uh, down, and you get invested immediately. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the kind of the trick of this movie is it seems like it's just making fun of its its characters entirely um, because it, it literally it, because it does highlight the the ridiculousness of the show on the front end and the back end. We already talked about the front end with Fred Ward basically being like, "So what is this?" <laughs> and nobody being able to really answer. Um, on the front end, it has Bob Balaban. He's like talking about dog standards, and he's like, uh, and he's like, uh, we have. Uh, rigid standards and you know where would it be and if you look at the world around me you can see um so he's sort of implying that like this stupid dog competition is some sort of like bulwark against a dying world or a bulwark against a a, a ever-increasing mediocrity um and like it's a clearly patently ridiculous statement that like oh because we hold to our dog breed standards so tightly um, we're holding out, we're, we're a bastion against this fading world that's going on outside there. It's like a patently ridiculous statement, but it's a statement that like, every time I watch the movie, I get stuck on it. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the movie in a nutshell in a weird way that like people are putting way, way too much on these poor animals. Um, yeah. and, and like the, the people projecting their disappointments or their successes on the dogs and like, or like that even the sweetest couples are like have you in the what is it the the terrier class is all about character and like have you ever seen a sweeter dog have you ever seen a happier dog and it's like the dog (laughs) seems happy largely because we've bred them to look that happy and also you seem like good owners that treat your dog well like there's no like there's no uh grander purpose there like your dog breed is better than other people's dog breeds and it's very seductive when you become like a dog owner who actually cares it's very seductive to get pulled into this sort of like escalating series of like well i'm a better dog owner because i feed my dog this particular diet i'm a better dog owner because i uh, i provide my dog with this service i I take my dog to this sort of daycare Um, i'm a better dog owner because i uh, have i have proven so much that i'm a great dog owner that i've entered them in competitions or i'm a great dog owner because i now have a instagram devoted to them and there's nothing wrong with any of those individual pieces it's just it's all part of the the sort of escalating uh like using your dog as a projection of yourself um which can be very yeah. very gross and i and as the world has sort of shifted to be like pe- people are more focused on their dogs there's entire yeah there's there's 
thousands upon thousands, maybe millions of Instagram accounts that are all just devoted to dogs. Um, uh, well, that I mean, I we uh, that really happened with the pandemic, especially. We had to take one of our dogs. We have three dogs, <laughs> um, and uh, one of our dogs got sick and was throwing up. And we had to take her to an hmm. emergency vet. I live in uh, the twentieth most populated metro in the country. Uh, all the vets were six to eight hour waits. Wow. Uh, and one of them, we finally got to the University of Minnesota health, uh, like emergency vet thing. And they're like, yeah, to every, I'm, we're like, what is going on? Like, you know, we've had to take dogs to like late night vets before. And they're like, uh, too many people adopted pets during the pandemic. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. A bunch of people just like took dogs to, to get as companions, but forget that like, the responsibilities are not like as high as a child or, you know, a lot of other things, but like there's basic re- responsibilities. These animals are not just these like little play things that you can use as like Instagram fodder. Like they're, they're living beings. They're not asking everything of you, but they're asking some things of you. And but that, but that is- kind of like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. But this movie is like, as a final thought, like this movie is very much about people who sort of, um, misunderstand the relationship with their dogs and sometimes that can be kind of sweet because like you know Scott and Stefan like those dogs are going to live out the rest of their lives everything they're doing is fairly harmless same with Cookie and Jerry but like um, the, 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 the with Hamilton and Meg it becomes this sickening thing this disgusting thing where they like decide it, they just decide they have a bad dog because they've been horrible dog owners yeah and instead of you know becoming better owners they just ditch their dog and try and get a new one (laughs) or learning a thing about like again the the thing i keep getting coming back to is like you don't need to be an expert dog owner to know that the way to calm a dog is not to yell in its face like that that's that's basic for almost uh everyone and peter like that 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 idea of like uh, the the competition to who's who's doing everything right like that is such a in an age when like again I love my dogs I love uh, all our all our pets um, but uh, your 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 small scale local community zoo I guess <laughs> I, I guess I am somewhat indifferent to the guinea pigs but I I, I don't dislike them I'm not angry about them I just you're certainly you know, not putting pigs. all your fears and disappointments on the guinea pigs. I do yell at them to psych them up, but I think that's what that's good for guinea pigs. You need to know what motivates your uh, your 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 animals. Uh, but like that that kind of like um, idea of like pet ownership as like a competition. Like I remember that before we had kids and took the dogs to the dog parks, and like it's just amazing how people like seem to live their lives in the age of like again like. Uh, uh, you know, p- uh, dog parents where they like, well, these are my kids. And I've met people that say, that think that dogs are the same yeah. as kids. And, and again, that's not a shade on my dog. I love my dogs. I, uh, but like it, it has that same, the, the dynamic that I've seen is the same as when you act, when you have kids. And there's like this weird thing where like parents of dogs, parents of all stripes, parents of dogs, parents of, of human children, um, feel like that it's not good enough that they've made a decision to do something one way like 
they need to justify that decision because parenting in general is something that is just there is no right answers there's some clear wrong answers but there's not uh, always right answers and everyone just kind of does the best for the type of dog or the kid or whatever else that you have you unfortunately cannot run lola run uh, and get a, a viewpoint no. into uh, your decision to let your child wear this or eat that or send them to this school. You can't see like a projection of them yeah, 10 I... years down the road. You just kind of have to go, based on my current information, this seems like they should eat this sandwich. I know, but yeah. that's why it's it's so exhausting talking to... Like, I think I remember this at the dog part, park. It's only become more real with having ki- uh, human children because like that thing of like, oh, we do this... Like just making conversation, like, oh yeah, our dogs do this, and like if it's not if it's something that they've chosen not to do in any capacity, the amount of people who take it as a challenge to their way of life and like yes. have to let you know that they they don't do it that way because they and like it always follows some passive aggressive like, well you know we really care about our dogs, uh you know uh, stomach health and so we don't. It's like, shut the fuck. Yeah, the the we really care about blank thing is, you're so right. It's this, like, weird, uh, this weird aggressive, like, I don't want to use the term microaggression, but it is, like, a microaggression. They're like, I I don't even think it's, like, it's not micro for their intention. Like, they, they need to let you know that they also knew that they could do it the other way, and they cared more than you did. Oh, it is the worst yeah, days. and and the the but like the it's sort of just a clause, a throwaway clause that starts off the sentence. Um, well, since we care about this thing, but like it is, it is sort of a fuck you. It's sort of like I'm, I am, I am superior to you because I do this, this, and this. It becomes yeah. a competition. Yeah, I well, yeah, as as opposed Everything to an actual does. competition, which is yeah. like save your pet competitions for the Mayflower dog show even though it should be clearly held in the dominican republic um and then leave them away uh from from real life but liam thank you so much for coming on our show uh i i can't (laughs) believe that this 90 minute movie we've talked about for uh almost three hours but i think that speaks to how much we love uh this movie uh what do you have knowing of course as you do that it's the third week of november what do you have to promote um well, I'll promote uh, the dog show that's going to be on Thanksgiving morning after the parade, as it is every year. So you can watch that <laughs> later this week. Um, recently, not even recently, but uh, in my future, your past, I will uh, have done coverage of New York Film Festival for a site called The Nocturnal. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, if you uh, want to read that or more, you could check me out on... Twitter or Letterboxd or maybe Instagram, if that's some place that you use, this screen name everywhere is Haber345. And I'm always happy to have more nerds be freaked out by my opinions and then stop following me. Uh, and then you can also find those things in the show notes so that if you stop following him because uh, you're, <laughs> you're bad at clicking things and hit the wrong button, come back to our show, listen to the full episode again. Click the links uh, at the bottom. But yeah, this <laughs> I'll was be great, listening Liam. to this again and again every time. I'm, I'm probably going to be sending this episode to people every time they have 
any sense of like an opinion about best in show if they're like quote it i'll just be like you know i have some ideas about this movie too and then i'll just send them the i don't know the six hour long unedited version of this podcast (laughs) like i will say it is always rare when we stay on topic let alone stay on topic for three hours i think that's like if we're as a wrap-up Cannot think of a more hearty recommendation that the three of us essentially stayed mostly on topic uh, to talk about this movie because there, uh, there's every character is worth uh, is worth talking about. I, that, I was convinced this was going to be an hour and forty five minute raw episode that would go down to an hour twenty because I was just like, yeah, it's just it's such like a light and digestible movie. But then you actually start diving into the character dynamics and you're like, no, this is this is there's a reason why this has its 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 strength. Like this is why it's, people are this movie is so beloved. It's a light comedy that also has intense commentary on uh, <laughs> psychosexual dynamics in the turn of the 21st century <laughs> and the influence of technology on queerness and sexual stability in relationships. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, ba- like it's basically those... a remake of Sex, Lies, and Videotaping um, <laughs> really thematically kind of um, for, for the it's... new age. This is uh, Robert Altman's Shortcuts, but instead of California, it is Dogs. A hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And remember, uh, really sad to think about, but uh, in some countries they eat podcast episodes. So, good night. Until next time. Night. I got a wild, smelly, furry beast at home. She is my friend. We play fetch, fetch, frisbee, and go on walks. She's a godsend. to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>